Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. The immense pleasure of sitting down with Dave Colum again. I was not expecting uh, to be looking at Dave's face through through a Zoom uh, recording this quickly after our last episode a couple months ago. Um, but uh, as you freaks may know, uh, Zero Hedge got banned from Twitter over the weekend. I was thinking about uh, ripping a solo episode just with some brief thoughts on the whole situation. If you follow me on Twitter, you can tell I was pretty heated about the situation. Um, so I pinged Dave in the morning and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Like, I know you're pretty pissed off too. Would you like to come on and, uh, share your thoughts? And, uh, luckily for me, he, uh, was interested. So we sat down last night and talked, uh, about a bunch of things. It was not only about the zero hedge banning from Twitter. Uh, we talked about the coronavirus, the, uh, university teachers here in the States working for the Chinese state, uh, it seems, uh, um, the zero head situation, uh, getting banned on Twitter, um, immunology, fatherhood, a bunch of stuff. We ripped it all. We ripped into it all. Uh, Dave does not hold back. He's a free man talking. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I must warn you though, uh, if you're in the hour and 15 minute mark and you, uh, you hear me trying to wrap it up, there was about five times where I wrapped it up in the last 45 minutes. Uh, but I, I, I highly encourage you to stick to the end. The conversation is very good. Uh, Dave uh, Dave has a lot of thoughts on a lot of topics, and I was uh, lucky to just be a, basically a fly on the wall hearing his, his a two-hour rant from Dave Collum on a bunch of topics. I, uh, again, I think uh, you guys are going to like this one. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. As you know, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money, and now... It's the simplest way to try to grow your money, introducing Cash App Investing. If you, you freaks been looking at the Tesla stock, it's at like $900 this morning. This is not investment advice. I'm not telling you whether to buy or sell or short the stock. I'm just uh, looking at a data point that I've seen this morning. Tesla stock at $905. Uh, on investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of stocks, that's probably out of some people, most people's reach. But Cash App, they're going to let you invest as little or as much as you want, okay? This way, when your favorite company's stock is just a little too expensive, maybe like $905, you could still own as little as $1, all right? And because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, there are no four to five day waiting periods for inbound transfers, so you can start investing today, right now, okay? Brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary square, and member SIPC. And as always, okay, when you download this app, if you have not already, what are you waiting for if you listen to this podcast? If you don't want to KYC buy Bitcoin, I understand you don't even need to use the app for that. You can use it for their boost program where you save money at merchants, all right? The, the boost card is dope. I got my sick signature on it, all right? Use the code STACKINGSATS if you haven't downloaded the app yet. That's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10 from the Cash App, and t- Cash App is going to send $10 to our great friends at Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. So download the Cash App from the App Store or Google Play Store today and enjoy this episode with Dave Collum. He's a free man talking. From the what is up, freaks? 
Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here with a guest who was just here uh, less than two months ago. I wasn't expecting to be speaking with him uh, uh, this this close to our last recording, but I feel the subject matter at hand is uh, is very important. And uh, Dave Collum is somebody who has uh, very good ideas and thoughts on this particular topic. So I was actually originally going to do a monologue episode where I just laid out my thoughts on the subject and uh, put them out there. But I DM Dave this morning and asked if he wanted to join. He was so kind to, to agree. So Dave, welcome back. Glad to be back. Your timing's perfect, actually. Yeah. Um, we're about to talk about. Yeah. So heavy subject, obviously, for you freaks who may not know. Uh, over the weekend, Friday night, I believe late Friday night, Zero Hedge was banned. Uh, from Twitter uh, for uh, the reason uh, being uh, that they doxed uh, a doctor in Wuhan uh, pertaining to the uh, coronavirus uh, news and all the stuff that's been happening uh, around that. Um, so I think I think that's where we should start is, is the coronavirus and um, sort of the the news that's been going on around it, what's, what is going on? Like what, what are the possible causes of it? Uh, and then we can get into how zero hedge was covering it and whether or not their ban was justified. Right. It wasn't, let's, let's lay that one right out there. It wasn't, but yeah. Um, so the, by way of, um, playing out my background, um, 40 years ago, I was a genetics major. That is about the stalest major you can have now, right? That's like saying 40 years ago, I did computer science, right? Um, and, uh, you know, being in a chem department with a lot of chemical biology types of stuff, I constantly am exposed to it, but I, but I, do, I just don't know this stuff well, right? So, so anything I say should be taken with a grain of salt. I am, I am some guy from the internet, right? Um, but I've been paying close attention to the coronavirus. One side of my brain says pay close attention. The other side of my brain says, why not wait a week and see if we're all dead? Um, it's a much easier experiment to do that way. Um, so, uh, but there's a lot of layers to that coronavirus onion that, that and, and yet one thing I'm positive is none of us know whether the facts are correct. Yes, that's, that's exactly how I feel. We don't know exactly where this virus came from. It's plausible that it was a, a true mutation of, of something in a bat and a snake and it just got released in that market. It's plausible, at least in my opinion, that uh, the Wuhan facility, the facility in Wuhan experimenting with this stuff uh, had it either released or maliciously released. Um, and then on top of that, in the recent weeks, it's becoming more and more evident that there seems to be uh, behind a closed doors cold war going on between China and the U.S. with doctors. There was a Harvard professor, I believe, who got caught um, uh, working with Chinese officials uh, around. There's a lot more than just him. Yeah. So that's tip of the iceberg. That, that's right up there with like the uh, admission scandal. There's a lot more perp walks coming if, 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 uh, if they decide to make a big deal of it. Now, Charlie Lieber is the guy you're talking about. I've never met him, but it's a small enough world that I've known of him since he was an assistant professor and he's a rock star. So um, and I, we even in chemistry are a little unclear as to what what got him. Now, one of my colleagues tried to say he just, he just blew something and he failed to report a month's worth of money or something. That's not the case. I told my colleague, I said, you're nuts. That, that's not what the FBI arrested him for. So, uh, so there's that. Um, I think the academic 
science community is probably littered with dubious relationships with China and that the uh, and that some of the academics aren't even didn't even realize how exposed they were. That's my guess. Yeah, so I think Lieber might. There was something else at Texas A&M too, correct? Um, well, so um, this actually shocks me. I, I know a number of people, and I wouldn't have known what the number was, uh, who have what we say laboratories in China. Now, I have no interest to have a laboratory in China, even if they offered it to me, because I have no interest in having a science program going on across the world where I don't get to talk to the people. I, I, I apparently have no gene for megalomania. So I'm driven by ego, right? Now, I, I, I like to, in the field I'm in, I think I'm as good as anyone. I think it will, we actually do more specifically, no one can get near me. But, um, but at the same time, I, I don't want to have a big group. I don't, want to, I, I don't want my group to run me. And what happens is in chemistry, and this has is, this is become more and more so in the last couple decades, it's been a slow creep. Uh, megalomania has, has kicked in. So you know, there were big groups in the olden days, but, but you, you didn't measure a person's worth by their group size and stuff like that. And now it seems to be the case. And, you know, people are publishing journal uh, articles in scientific journals and saying, oh, this is fantastic. This guy has three science papers, science being supposedly the most elite. I refuse to publish in science by policy because like, I hate that whole idea. Um, science has some serious junk published in it because it's getting kind of political. But, but with respect to the Chinese world, so what appears to be happening is, is, is that the China's formed relationships across the pond, probably in Europe, in, in the U.S. I have no idea how many different fields. I'm kind of just aware of the chemists, right? Um, I read an article that claimed that the state of Texas had a hundred such relationships. And in the same article, they said five of the people in those hundred had divulged the relationship. And I'm going, that's a big problem. That's a monstrous problem. Every year I have to fill out all my, all my potential conflicts and say how many days I'm committed, how much I make. And, and Cornell doesn't care if I make a, a fortune, right? But they want to know what I'm doing. They want to know what's up because they want to know if there are conflicts of interest. So somehow Lieber was hiding stuff. We don't know exactly what. One of my colleagues sent me an email, which I haven't had time to read, which is the actual indictment. And it's a shame I didn't read it. I could tell you what's in it. But uh, you don't arrest two, a couple of Chinese scientists and a U.S. scientist by the FBI because he forgot to include the month of March in his disclosure. Yeah. And so, uh, and Lieber's sort of top shelf in the sense that the stuff he does has probably got a lot of real defense implications. And if the Chinese are saying he got some like 1.78 million a year research support, which means that he ran a lab in China that cost 1.78 million a year. Now, I can tell you if you ran that lab in the United States, I can't tell you what it does in China, but if you ran a $1.78 million a year lab in the United States, it would easily be 20, 25 people. Now, I think it's got to be cheaper in China, right? Yeah. And they also paid him uh, $600,000 a year. Now, again, if I want to go to Merck or Pfizer and consult, I don't think Cornell has a cap on how much they can pay me. I, I would love for them to pay me 600000 a year. That'd be fantastic. Um, but I don't think they're ever going to. Um, 
And so, uh, so, but there is a big conflict of interest. If China says, oh, by the way, Charlie, we, we, uh, we want you to do this and we do not want you to tell the defense agency that you're doing it and we're paying you a lot of money for you to shut your mouth. So all of a sudden you have this potential for, for um, him becoming inadvertently kind of an espionage moment, right? That's, I, I don't know if there is one. Don't, 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 don't interpret that as meaning he committed any crime that I know of. But, but uh, you put enough money on the table and, and you can turn a person into a spy. It's like an Epstein honey trap, right? Same thing, right? They give him enough money and next thing they know they own him. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, it was very confusing when it first came out. It seems very treasonous. And if, if the, the allegations come out to be true, obviously, but it just seems... Well, see, I- I, I never thought about the treasonous component with these guys' labs in China. So let me back it out even more. So years and years ago, China opened up. And Cornell was one of like 10 schools or maybe 15 schools where there was this big arrangement. And I remember the discussion about it saying, we are going to send hand-selected Chinese students to your PhD program. Now, it, what was made it such a big deal is they weren't even letting guys do anything at that point. So that was like China opening its doors finally. And I remember we, we got a couple of students every year from China. We paid for them, right? But it, we're, it's all part of getting China to come out of their medieval world, right? Um, and then over the years, China sent more and more people. And the thing that baffled me was that the Chinese students would come and then they would stay and they'd get a job and they'd get their green card and they'd stay. And I always wondered why, 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 isn't, China, why isn't China getting upset with this? And, uh, and then over the years, I began to, they start, some started going back too. And then I started thinking, well, if we've got this big trade balance, why aren't they paying fellowships for these kids at least, right? And uh, so, so I could never quite figure out the, the, the conflict there. So I realized this is kind of sound dark, and this could even get me in trouble with some colleagues, but I realized that, um, that there's probably 2,000 Chinese national, 2 million Chinese nationals here at least, right, over the last few years, right? There's gotta be a lot. And in the sciences, there's a large number, and, and these guys are good now, right? They're, they're, they're smart bastards. And when you call scientists out of a, a population of, two, of a billion people, you get some smart people, and they work hard as hell, right? They're not suffering from eighth generation American syndrome or anything like that. And um, I realized that the Chinese may have been playing a very long game and saying, look, if we send you know, a couple of decades worth of our smart students over to the US, over to Europe, we will have populated the scientific community with people uh, sympathetic to our needs, right? Not to say that they're bad people or anything, but sympathetic to China. So for example, when we start doing other stuff, we will have you know, professors at Harvard in place who, who we can work with. And, you know, I've always wondered about, you know, if we ever had a real serious military conflict with China, we, we'd be right back to where we were in World War II with the Japanese internment camps and stuff. Because you would, I, you know, if, if you were an American in China, would you be loyal to China? The answer is I don't think so, right? I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that a person would have an allegiance to China, right? That's where they were born. That's where the family is and so on. So I think it's possible that China's long game was to populate the Western world with Chinese nationals and that they would then over time um, then be able to sort of elevate their game. Yeah, I mean, 
it wouldn't surprise me at all. And again, we're not saying any of this is declarative. It's just a realm of possibility and something I've been covering in my newsletter and on this podcast too is like the long the long game that Russia and China have been playing against the U.S. dollar. Russia's not like, see, this is China's a very different game than Russia. I, I look at Russia and I see a banana republic, right? So the Russia collusion, the whole, I'm untroubled by Russia. I've seen too many dash cam videos and stuff, right? To, to me, Russia is like this vodka vodka drench country that's just trying to hold together. I see Putin as a bad guy, but I see a country that couldn't possibly be run by a good guy. And so I, Russia, Russia doesn't phase me at all. China, on the other hand, is looking pretty authoritarian now, right? Even my students who are from China are nervous about what's going on at home. You know, now he's the, the, the king of China, not the, not the elected head of China. And, um, and so I think, I think, and, and I think with Trump finally deciding it's time to, uh, to challenge some of these trade agreements, which are very out of date, I think that now the game is on, right? And I think we're starting to see some weird stuff happen. So, so the other thing is, if you look at Charlie Lieber's website at Harvard, again, I risk a little flack because to turn on one of your own, you know, I'm, I'm hammered. I, I don't know Charlie, so I don't have any allegiance to Charlie. But his entire group at Harvard is, is are, appear to be, right? I don't know, maybe I'm just being a racist, but based on names, they're Chinese, right? Or Korean. Now, you can say, well, oh, that's, that's the smoking gun, but no, that's not, because it turns out physical chemistry, which is what Charlie does, very hard to get students in physical chemistry because they're kind of, they're kind of bi-curious. You, you have to declare you're interested in chemistry, so you're in a chem department, but you also have to know a lot of math and physics because it's really physical. And the guys who are good in math, physics, go right to physics. And so, so we kind of get, you know, physical chemists is weird hybrid of two fields. So even elite departments, you know, probably the top physical department is Berkeley. And Berkeley kind of gets to take what it wants. And then Chicago used to be, but probably not anymore. Um, and so you get, there's, there's, there are not enough physical chemistry students who, who are good to populate the top 10 programs from the United States. And so you go to foreign countries, you go to India, you go to China, you, you go where you go. And so we, we, we could fill up, we, we could fill up our entire grad program with Chinese kids if we wanted to. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's shift this back to the coronavirus. What is the, the top, layer of the onion with the coronavirus in your mind it's, honestly it's been one of the most I, I remember ebola swine flu sars and they scared me errs yeah, whatever right. errs um and uh, right. initially this is what it seems to me i'm very confused uh personally like, i don't know well, i don't know whether to be scared or or treat it like ebola i'm not afraid because if it gets me it gets me but that's kind of a fatalistic view you're too young to take that attitude I've got the take me now attitude. Um, but however, you know, if let's say, let's say they're a 50% mortality rate, the guys who make it, they suffered. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to go through spiking 105 degree fevers on the route to success either. Um, so here's what I, what I started out. So the rumor is that the MERS virus started around December 5th or something, right? I don't know how it's that precise, but that's the number I have in my head. Uh, there are, everything in this game is a rumor everything in this game is rumor. So 
Um, so for example, uh, uh, you don't know how many cases there are. You know how many cases we're told. I think the numbers coming out of the Western world are better, right? Um, and so there's a couple of websites. One was Chinese based and someone had a Google Translate up and I couldn't figure out how to do it. So the one I saw was pure Chinese, but, but, but I checked the Google Translate version against his, against the, the, the Chinese version. And it'll look correct, it'll look like his Google Translate. And it had three columns. One was the number of reported cases, which again, since it's from, you know, biggest 20 cities in China and, uh, and but you don't know if they're reporting it correctly. So you got the, you got that column, and then you got the, the column of deaths. And it's a tiny number, it's like 1%. But you have the column of recoveries. Now, everyone is focusing on the ratio of deaths to total cases. And so you end up with a 1% mortality rate. But that's not the right number to look at. What you really want to do is look at the deaths to recoveries. Because as I put it, in my usual crass way. The question is, when you go to the hospital with coronavirus, do you leave it a box or a cab? Right? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's the death to recovery ratio. Um, a couple days ago, the deaths were outstripping recoveries. But it gets complicated because you say, well, how long does a recovery take? What's, what's defined as a recovery, right? And I, I've read articles that said, Again, these are people on the internet, right? <laughs> so so any, anything, there's absolutely nothing I believe. Once in a while, something will appear in an elite journal, I'll go, yeah, okay, I just told you science is filled with crap too, so I, I don't even believe elite journals. But, um, but, um, but I've heard that the people who are, who are sort of recovering from the, the coronavirus are coming out of it beaten up pretty badly. It's not like the flu where it's over and you go, oh boy, I feel better now. I'm still kind of washed out. I, I, I've heard they have immune problems. I've heard there's all sorts of challenges, but I haven't heard a lot of stories about that. And I haven't heard them confirmed. What I've been watching for are the molecular biologist types, watching them fight amongst each other. See if I can find the guys who are willing to battle back and forth and, and say, yeah, but there's such and such. So the, the rumors that abound. So there's epidemiologists who say, look, when you look at the first 99 cases, there's guys who claim there's the first 99 and they looked at them and they, they, they didn't come from the meat markets, right? That's the first problem. So the epidemiologists usually can sort of find patient zero. They usually can say, look, when we interview these people, when we interview families, they all shop at the Wuhan bat market, right? And, and they're finding it doesn't come from there. And then there's rumors of sequences in the coronavirus, which are not normal. Now there's discussions of it being part bat, part snake coronavirus. There's all sorts of ways that could happen. But now there's, there are also discussions about it, there being like six to eight base pairs that look like they got pinched right out of an HIV virus. But you can find people debunking that and they'll go through some gigantic DNA database and they'll say, here's how many times that sequence appears. I go, yeah, but all, see all those times it appears? That's not in a virus killing half the world. Okay, so it's like when OJ's blood type, when, when the blood type of, of the killer of Nicole Simpson came up and it was not a common blood type of that, they said, well, you know, 40,000 people in the 8 million LA area have that blood type and the prosecutor said they're not married to Nicole. <laughs> so, uh, 
So the gist is that, that these are provocative things. The, the internet's filled with people searching coronavirus and finding papers. And they don't realize coronavirus is a big topic. So you find a paper and someone's made a vaccine and they go, oh, look, they already have the vaccine. Someone's going to get rich. There's a conspiracy. It's so useless to find those kind of papers. Um, I read one this morning that seemed to suggest that, that it was kind of non-statistically likely. I mean, there's really non-statistical that it would be just a random mutation. And again, I don't know the authors, but, uh, but I can read a paper and say these guys, these guys are not blogging, they're writing science, mm -hmm. right? So I'm smart enough to be able to say these guys are, when I read it and they talk about their protocols, I can say, okay, that seems like top shelf virology thinking, not not some wackadoodle who's reading Alex Jones's blog, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so there, there's rumors that the virus is up ten, tenfold over what they're saying. So there's people saying that there's 100,000 cases in China, not 10,000. Um, I picked up something this morning. So there's this one website that's, uh, that's an English language website. I don't know where it comes from, but it has the, that same sort of columns, the data, the same sort of data seems to match this other Chinese site. And, um, and the, 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 the recovery rate to death toll, that ratio is now rising, which means more and more, a higher percentage of recovering as the numbers keep adding up. And this thing updates fairly regularly. So it, it seems like it's attempting to keep up with the pandemic. Um, but it's still, I don't know, 500 to 350, and, right? And I got to tell you, I just finished a book on the, the Black Death and, you know, a 50% mortality rate destroys societies, right? So, yeah. And I mean, and I believe this is a, a very strong instance of look at what they're doing and not what they're saying uh, when it pertains to China. Well, and, but the other oddity in this, and I posted this this morning, um, they have stats from all sorts of places, including China, but other countries. And, and except in the Wuhan area, where, the, where, the rate, where most of the cases are, right? That's where the huge volumes of the 350 who, are, who died, 300 are from Wuhan, right? Um, but if you look at the other cities where the numbers are much smaller, the, 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 the ratio of death, deaths to recoveries is much more friendly. So very, there are very few deaths in the other cities, only in Wuhan, when you compare it to the recovery. So there might be a city with one death and 20 recoveries. And you can say, well, what does that mean? And there could be some biochemical argument for that, the way it spreads. Could be the way it got infected in Wuhan, I don't know. But it could also be um, that in Wuhan, the system is overloaded. So if you come in and you could be saved, but there's no ICU, you might die. Yeah, they just had a so the wolves might show that, that that might show the effect of overloading a medical system. That's possible. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, they had to build a whole new hospital in a week. Um, yeah, and guess what? That hospital, as I said yesterday, it looks like a civil war hospital. It looks right? like a prison. It might be complicated metal, but that ICU unit's not going to have uh, per bed a half a million dollars worth of equipment. Right. They, they, if the world's supply of some piece of equipment, if the world demands X for some fancy piece of you can't all of a sudden get get 10,000 more of those in six days. Right. Right. No company has six, 10,000 more of those things. 
right? They don't, they don't sit on shelves for eternity waiting. It's a sort of an on-demand delivery. On-demand, can't get them there. So I think those are elaborate cots. I think those hospitals they're building are elaborate cots with sailing bags and, you know, things that you can get by the, by the pile, but not the big stuff. Yeah. No, and it's, it's again, it's so confusing, too, because then you hear rumors of, uh, of crematoriums being, uh, being sort of at limit as well. And you don't know, honestly, how, how many people are dead or dying. There's people taking videos in Beijing. The streets are completely empty. Yep. Uh, it's, it's insane. Although it could four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so you, you know as well as I do that out there on the internet, there's people who are just looking for virality, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are people who are looking to fake a video and then get it viral. And it's like the uh, Harvard kids trying to write letters to penthouse letters and get them published, right? <laughs> say, oh yeah, I met this. Right? So, so there are people who are willing to do that. Um, some, there was a video of a bus driver who says his route is an hour and a half long and the first time ever he drove the entire route without a single passenger. Mm-hmm. That's true. I don't know if that's true. That shows you what's happening in China, right? I don't even see how it's possible though. China's so crowded. I mean, it's like the trouble with triples, right? And, um, and then I was looking at a picture, a videotape of a hospital where it's, it's just pandemonium. And my research associate who's been with me for 20 years, she looks at it, she says, yeah, but that's what they look like. <laughs> and I go, really? She said, yeah, you go to a hospital in China, it's crazy. It's always packed. So, uh, right, it's always packed, yeah. It's like, oh, look at the subway in China, it's crowded too, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I just don't know. But the Chinese are responding in a way that doesn't match the other pandemics, right? Yes, and that's what scares me the most right because Xi and company you really think they have the highest incentive to put a facade together that they have everything in check and having him come out and declare uh, a state of emergency and uh, and then on top of that you have airlines and other countries shutting down flights to and from China until May um, it's got a Chernobyl feel to it yes right yeah that's, that's- the illusion that caught my attention is it feels like Chernobyl where they're saying we're not going to tell you what's going on but we got a, we got control of it you know don't pay attention to us um, so I think the idea that it's a bioweapon that got out I, I read this morning someone said some I, I, it looked what looked like a great analysis you know one of these sort of highly scientific analyses said that to them it looks like not like a bioweapon that got out but rather part of a vaccine program that got out. One of the mistakes they said China might be making is their vaccine programs. They might be willing to test human subjects. Okay. Right. And, and I think there are, you know, gulags in China, which they're doing organ donation. Right. And, and what's absolutely clear is for the last, what, 30 years, they've had the one child policy. Mm-hmm. And although they're not telling you how to deal with it, we know that there've probably been millions and millions of, of baby girls who've been drowned. Right. Yeah. And you have the one girl policy, you know, that's happening and you're okay with it. You're a pretty ruthless crowd. Right. Yeah. No. So, so I don't rule out China as signing off on anything. Right. I think they could sign off on anything because you know, they're, they're a centralized regime. Right. Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, don't trust. No, I don't trust them at all. And that's, I mean, again, that's why this whole situation's, I don't want to say it's scary a little bit. It's like, all right, what the hell are they doing? Is this going to come affect us over here? But then you read, I've, I've heard a theory, uh, a friend, James O'Byrne, is a Bitcoin developer. He's 
been pretty uh, pretty into this coronavirus story and following it pretty intently on virology uh, uh, forums and stuff like that. And he um, he caught uh, not a stat but like a fact or there's a theory out there that this particular coronavirus uh, potentially uh, Asian men are more susceptible to it than than other. Yeah, I picked that up. Uh, you know, probably I'm picking it up from your, your former followers who are now joint followers. Um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard something like a fourfold increased susceptibility to Asian men. And that leads you to a, to, to bifurcate down a, there are things that are very specific to certain genomes, right? So sickle cell anemia, for example, was prevalent in African-Americans because it protected them against malaria, mm-hmm. right? So, so sickle cell anemia had a reason to persist in the population. And, and, uh, and then the, supposedly the Black Death, there's 20% of Europe has a gene that not only allows you to survive. Someone said, oh, yeah, the, the, their offspring survived. They survived. And I go, well, we, all of our ancestors survived the Black Death, dude, um, by definition, right? But, but apparently they didn't get it, right? There's, there's an immunity. And they think that, that there's something like that same group um, had an immunity to the Spanish flu. And so the, and the immune system is a very complicated thing. And I had started reading about immunology before the coronavirus for reasons I don't know, but the coincidence is amazing. So I read about immunology and then I read about the Black Death. I'd read so many on the Black Death. I love medieval history. But that, but but immunology is not just you get invaded, you get antibodies, and then you get better, right? It's a very complex system with a lot of feedback loops in it. And uh, so here's one for you. This will give you an idea how complicated it is. I saw after I watched a guy give a lecture on the idea that when you immunize kids, now I'm a vaccine guys, and you're out there listening, if you're not vaccinating your kids, I think you're crazy, right? I get the fact there might be risks out there, but you do not want them getting these bad diseases, right? And and maybe there's some that you shouldn't do, but but given vax or no vax, I vax my kids every time, right? But that's not to say it's optimized, right? And that's not to say there aren't problems. And uh, this guy was talking about how the vaccines, to the extent that they, they sort of, they, they, you've, got an, you've got the innate immune system. When you are born, you have the ability to fight stuff, but it's kind of a stupid standing army. It's all privates, right? And then you've got the adaptive system where as your body gets hit with, with these antigens, um, you, you generate antibodies and, and it goes after them. And then you're good for life in a lot of cases, right? And, uh, and he says that when you vaccinate, you jump over the innate system and you go right to the adaptive system. And, and again, the guy was both smart and he was a systems biologist, but there's there also a reason to not be sure if he really had creds. He might be a little wackadoodle. And, uh, but he said that what you do is when you vaccinate, you, you skip the other stuff. So it's almost too smart. And so when you vaccinate against polio with the dead polio vaccine, then you won't get polio. But all these other systems have to do with interferons and this whole cascading thing that's like, uh, it would be like working out and doing just curls, right? You can, you can do curls now, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and his argument is that by skipping over the natural system and vaccinating that you, uh, 
that you're, you're, that there's actually, it can actually cause trouble. So then by chance, the next day I see a video by a TED talk. And this woman is working in Africa and she says that we've, she says, I work in places that are so bad that the parents don't name their children right away because they don't know if they're going to make it. Right. It's just so, so toxic. So what they did is they were doing polio vaccinations. Now, as she said, nobody dies of polio. So this is not about the polio per se, but she says you can, we have three groups. We have the, va the group over the last 15 years, we vaccinated using the, the dead vaccine. She says, the way you know it's a dead vaccine is that it takes several vaccinations. So if you, if you get vaccinated for like shingles, you have to go back and get it again. That's a dead vaccine. Now there's the live vaccine where it's, an, it's a dialed back version of the bug that can't infect you, but you can imagine someone going, I hope not, right? So I think the, the lawyers of pharma like dead vaccines. They wanna know that thing can't do anything. The live vaccine turns out to, you, it's a single vaccine, boom, you're done. And so it's a more effective vaccine, but apparently someone thinks it has risk. Now here's the cool part. She said that they monitor the mortality rate of the children. They don't say mortality from polio, no one gets it. They just say how many of these kids survive childhood diseases. And the live polio vaccine kids survive with a monstrously bigger uh, survival rate than the, than the dead vacciners. She says the live polio vaccine is doing way more than just vaccinating the kids against polio. <laughs> and then she says, and this is the part I'm not sure I believe at all, that one I'm, I'm okay with. Um, she said that the, the dead vaccine had a lower more, had a higher mortality rate than the non-vaccine. Whoa. And that's, that goes back to the first guy saying you're, you're fucking up the immune system if you're not careful. Right. So then, uh, so then I read an article yesterday and it, they, some, there, there's, there was a rate of asthma and all these autoimmune diseases in places. There's places in the world where people get huge amounts of autoimmune diseases. And there's, there's this place where, where in Finland, they get massive autoimmune diseases and 175 miles away in one of the Eastern blocks, they, I think, I think I'm mixing up stories here. It shows you, I don't know what borders are. Uh, they had sixfold um, less asthma. And the question is why? And what they finally concluded is they say that, um, that the healthiest thing you can do for your kid when they're little is let them wallow around in the dirt. And that the kids who are protected from getting dirty and stuff are the kids who are coming up with autoimmune diseases later in life. And so let them eat dirt, right? That's the, that's, that's the moral of the story. So dirt eaters over bubble boys. Right. The bubble boys become real problems. And I, I, you know, Jonathan Haidt of NYU says that um, they did an experiment where they, they fed babies formula in one group, very young babies. One group, they put uh, a powdered peanut, uh, ground up peanut powder. And then the other group was just normal formula. And later on in life, major difference between the two and peanut allergies. The ones who got the peanuts in their formula did not develop peanut allergies. And when I, when I, I can tell you when I was a kid, I'd never heard of a peanut allergy. Yeah, it's, and now it, it's everywhere. And so somehow the bubble boy effect has caused, has, has caused the kids to be not anti-fragile, to use a telab word. <clears throat> and, and I'm trying to catch up. All this is the last 
three months of my reading, right? I'm trying to pull it all together and ask what the heck is the, the meaning of it all. And I don't have the meaning of it all yet. I'm just, just I've been talking to biochemists and they're very defensive. They're going, Dave, vaccine saved lives. I go, you're missing my point. You're, you're jumping over and trying to get me not to become an anti-vaxxer. I'm not going to become an anti-vaxxer, right? I support vaccinations. But is it possible they're not optimized? Is it possible we're screwing something up here? Yes. I think we might be vaccinating. I think we might be getting too many too early, whacking their image. I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. No, I've uh, I've definitely seen more conversation pop up around that exact subject. Like uh, again, it's- oh, but the anti-vaxxers want that to come up. So here's the deal: you're going to hear about the coronavirus from the Bitcoin guys, right? Because they have a vested interest in the world going zombie apocalypse. Well, as do us gold bugs, as do us gold. Right? You can say you don't, but you know you. There's a little voice in all your head saying, "I told you so." Right? We all want to be right in some way. And so the gold bugs want to say, I told you so. We all sort of want the, the guys who are buying fang stocks and getting rich to eat some shit and die, right? <laughs> um, we, all, we all want to see some pain and suffering in that crowd. I'd love to see some of these techies go totally belly up. I'm, again, surveillance capitalism has me climbing the walls. Yeah, what do you so, think about Tesla at 750 today? Well, it just shows you how stupid the markets are. Right. I mean, Tesla is like, uh, that's like, you know, pets.com. Right. And so that it's up to 750. 750. You know, yeah. Well, there's no basis to that. Right. During the dot com era, I I started pricing some of the dot coms. I said, look, if these companies, you know, grow their earnings at 20% a year, they're going to be fair value in around 20 years. Right. It's just, it, none of it makes sense. I don't think Tesla, Tesla at best will be bought by somebody for their, for their uh, IP, right? At best. They're not going to make cars. I don't think. Of course, I thought Netflix was fucked. And of course, Netflix might be because they're, they're, they're making all this content, but they're going billions in the hole. Yeah. I'm, I'm, right. Uh, all these uh, new wave, I wouldn't call Netflix a startup, but like the Ubers, WeWorks of the world, uh, companies that were funded by big VC money and they sort of depend on another round moving forward to to sustain themselves um yeah does well that's the what dumb money does right so so if 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 capital's precious you know you want to buy ipos when when ipos are exceedingly unpopular because only the very best surface uh, unless you're a, a trader Right. If you want to, if you want to just yeehaw the whole thing and just buy it and say tomorrow I'm going to sell it and you know then have a ball. Then this wild and crazy market is great. Right. If you're a dexterous day trader, but I, I'm not. I don't have that in my genetics. Right. I don't have it in my DNA. I could never do it. I could never forgive myself if I lost money doing it. I mean, there's nothing about that world that I like. Um, so in any case, the, here's the beauty of the coronavirus. Unlike the zombie apocalypse financial world, which we're all looking at saying, you know, at some point, some, uh, there's going to be, you know, bodies floating to the surface. You and I agree on that, right? Um, but we don't know when, right? You and I could be old men doing podcasts saying, you know, it's coming any day, right? I'm already an old man, but I could be like a real old man and you could be a middle-aged man. Mm-hmm. And any day, you know, so the way I describe the bull bear debate is someone says, see, I told you so. And the other one says, just you wait. Right. That's how the bull bear to me goes the whole time. Um, the coronavirus in a month is either going to be here or not. And so there's a deadline to it. Right. There's a and it's going to be spreading through the West or it's not. 
and, and so we're at least going to get an answer key. Yeah, no, no. Well, I'm actually very surprised here in New York City that we only have one or two cases, uh, considering this is an economic hub of the world, which definitely had flights in and out of China every day during the 10 to 15 day incubation period. Before. Well, that's the mysterious part of this epidemic. That's the thing that doesn't make sense. Now, so in case people are really slow to get up to speed on this, there's the, the latency period, which is said to be very long. So New York City could have a, a thousand cases that haven't yet shown up. And, and the latency period said to be like 15 days or something, right? <coughs> I keep coughing. Yeah, this might be my last podcast ever. Say hi to the, say bye to the world. Um, I hope not. If, if that's, and, and you're supposedly infectious, but again, who's saying this? I don't even know who's saying this, but you're supposedly infectious before you're symptomatic. And there's rumors of, of kids who are like typhoid Marys. There's rumors of kids who are, who, who are in a family where the family gets it and they don't get it. It turns out they're showing, they're showing it, but they're not getting sick. Right. And there was a woman named Typhoid Mary who never got typhoid, but gave it to everyone she came in contact with. And so this can happen. And so uh, with the internet being such a wild west of information, um, we're just going to have to wait. I, tr I will trust the Western numbers. <clears throat> and so as we go from one to two to three to four cases, and at one point the doubling rate was, uh, at one point the doubling rate was about every 30 hours. Now, the bigger gets, you can't go doubling every 30 hours without filling the known universe with dead guys, right? But, um, but, but what's also believed to be true is it's possible that the system just kind of collapsing in Wuhan and their stats have simply not, they become invalid. And the reason they're, they're not getting more cases because they've run out of test kits, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they can't process the tests. So they don't have any more cases, you know, stuff like that. But in, so, so I also think there's going to be a, in a in an epidemic, there's going to be a, a bimodal, a double phase of death. I think the first phase is when you don't know what you're dealing with, and you get some guy coming in with a flu, and they give him, you know, some 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 anti decongestant and send him home, and then he comes back with a brain hemorrhage and whatever else comes with this thing. By the way, the Spanish flu. People who think the Spanish flu was a bunch of people who died from pneumonia and that in the modern era, we would just save them, have not read about the Spanish flu. So I, years ago, I read the book, The, the Great Influenza, which is, a, I think it's a brilliant book. I, I went to Amazon, most people love it. There's some who say, oh, it's a terrible book and I'm going, you're just not smart enough. Um, but, the, but, but, but there were people who would go to bed and die and, and they do autopsies and they'd have brain hemorrhages and you get this pockets of gas. I can't remember which gas, so I can't tell you, but where they said that when you roll the patient over, they sound like Rice Krispies. Yeah. It's, this is not just someone with the bad pneumonia who died because in 1918, they didn't know what to do. But These are people that die at Johns Hopkins Medical Center. So, and a hundred million died in six months. Do the math on a hundred million people in six months. And the only thing that made it not seem so crazy is this World War One, and so that was kind of a standard stat. Mm -hmm. I ended. Yeah, and that's isn't that what they're saying? Coronavirus is though, like a very severe severe form of uh, pneumonia. At the end of the day, it attacks the lungs. You do, but you start out by just feeling like you got the sniffles. Mm 
mm-hmm. right? So it takes a long time before someone says, you know, that 105 fever is probably something we should worry about now, right? One of those. And, uh, and by that point, the person may have sneezed all over everybody. Yeah. So, um, and that's where this seems to differ from all the, the epidemics we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, they, they don't seem to have that. Um, <clears throat> and there's, there's biochemists saying that, look, these base pair changes within the virus, this, these biochemical changes that look suspicious. There's people who say um, this thing looks like it was designed to be infectious as hell. There's there's binding sites where you say this is the bind this this is the base pair sequence where shit binds like crazy. And I, again, I'm not more qualified to say any more than just that kind of bullshit. It's just pseudoscience statement. But I'm, I've read all this stuff. Lancet had an article, and then they pulled it. Right? Who knows what that's all about? Lancet's a very illustrious. Now everyone said, well, it's not a, a refereed article. The, the, the clowns who always say you got to have refereed articles. When you get a virus going like this, no one waits for a referee. Like my referee papers take two months to get published. Well, and no one's going to wait. I put it right up on the web and say, here's our work. Right? Yeah. Well, I guess there's a good segue into the zero hedge topic. That's I think um, like why they got banned at the end of the day because they were sharing information that yes may not have been um uh confirmed by anybody outside but they were sharing information at least what i thought was interesting and uh good perspective to to hear in the aftermath of all this coronavirus stuff because again uh, at least i don't think anybody's come out and clearly explained what the origin of this is well i'm a little baffled by the bimodal response to zero hedge so you and I both know that articles come out on Zero Hedge and you go, that's pretty shady stuff, right? Yeah. BF, right? Articles come out on CNN that look pretty shady too. Um, so you, you read Zero Hedge with a filter, right? And some of them you get the end, you go, there really was nothing there. You know, I, can re- I can't read another article about some guy who says the trucking industries in recession were going down the tubes, right? There's a lot of those. But, um, but there's so many things that show up on Zero Hedge that you're not finding elsewhere. So I don't read Zero Hedge to, because it's all factual. I read Zero Hedge because it's getting stuff that no one else is publishing. They're not consolidating. And if there's like uh, fires in California, right, which there are at times, or in Australia or something, you know, Zero Hedge, their um, small clips of the fires are better than everybody's, right? They do a great job of scooping, scraping the internet and getting, getting the best video footage and stuff like that. So I love Zero Hedge. I, I, you gave me one site, it would be Zero Hedge. It's not because they're always accurate. It's because I can I can sort of piece together a story. I don't need them to filter it for me. But um, so they, I when I, they first went, so Mike Krieger, who I bet you know um, of Liberty Blitz, um, and if you don't, you should follow him. Um, Love Mike. He sent me a, he sent me a DM on Twitter saying, "What the hell is this?" Right, and and it was Zero Hedge being suspended. So I went and checked and sure enough, they had been. So I went on a total rampage. I just total batshit rampage. And, um, and I bet I spent a half a day just, just posting venomous, venomous comments about Twitter. And, and, and I was posting stuff to Jack, which was a little tamer. Um, and it's not like Jack is reading my, my Twitter feed, but, but uh, Jack does follow me. And I figured there's a chance Jack will pick it up and say, you know, and Jack might not even know their algos knock zero hedge out, right? And so, so if we can get zero hedges boot trending, then, you know, Facebook booted zero hedge even worse. 
So Facebook booted your hedge in a way where they, you couldn't even on your own Facebook site, which I don't use because I hate Zuckerberg, but I, he still scrapes everything I, I post because what a lot of people don't know is you don't have to have a Facebook account. They have Facebook grab everything off your phone and everything off your computer, right? You, Facebook doesn't care if you have a Facebook account anymore. Um, and so, uh, so, so I, I, I was mad. I was super mad. And then over time, what became clear was that the, the article that got him booted was the one where they doxed the Chinese scientist using, right, the, the data, as you said before we started filming, using, using uh, publicly available information. But if you read the article, it was cringeworthy. They really did say, you know, give him a call, go see him, right? They, they kind of called in the mob. And the claim is he's innocent. I don't buy that part. I'm not sure Zero Hedge got that right or wrong, but, you know. But, but that gets to now the hypocrisy of Twitter and the hypocrisy of Facebook and the, and the fact that they're, they, they have such an uneven policy. Yeah, well, and so, uh, go ahead. No, that's, it, and I think that's the glaringly obvious problem here with Zero Hedge being banned on Twitter is the, the hypocrisy and inconsistency of the policy applied. Like for Zero Hedge, the dude that runs Zero Hedge, I'm not going to say his name, but he was doxxed by Bloomberg four years ago. See that guy, Jack Dorsey. <laughs> no, um, so here's, so, so, uh, oh, 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 you mean, oh, no, no. Uh, yeah, right. The two guys at Zero Hedge. Yeah. And then did you see their counterattack? Now, I, you were talking Zero Hedge. I was thinking at Twitter. Um, yeah. So Bloomberg, one of their former employees doxed him on a, in a Bloomberg article, right? Mm -hmm. And he called him out and he said, these guys, blah, blah, blah. And he named him and he said they were disgruntled, you know, commie dogs and stuff like that. And it, it reminds you, don't mess with Zero Hedge because Zero Hedge countered the next day with screen grabs of text messages. And apparently the guy who doxed him was a junkie and they had tried to straighten him out. And there's all this information about getting him professional help and all this stuff. So they just laid it out there and they just hosed the guy down from head to toe. But then at that point, and I had been in communication with one of the two guys on Zero Hedge and I didn't know who I was talking to. So I would have these direct message exchanges on Twitter and I didn't realize that it was one of the two founders of Zero Hedge. That was the funny part. Um, and so in any case, yes, yeah, so Zero Hedge gets booted. I don't have a problem with them getting a timeout, right? A permanent boot I have a problem with. I have a problem with a permanent boot of anybody. I have a problem, and, and so, so, I've gotten some arguments with some libertarian flavored people who I like to think of myself as. And you quickly discover that, that it's a battle between various libertarian concepts. On the one hand, you say the libertarian will say it's their company, they can do anything they want. But they really are kind of a monopolistic crowd that squashes their opponents like bugs and scalability is critical. And you can say, well, go, and people said, go start your own one. And I go, division of labor, dude. I'm a chemist. I can't go start my own. You take away my voice. I can't go start my own site. Doesn't work that way. What I think really nails it is that according, I think, according to the law, you have to define yourself as either a platform or a journalist. And a, a platform is protected by law against content breaches. And so if you're a platform and someone starts spewing Nazi shit, 
um, they can't sue you. Well, they can sue you for anything, but they can't win because you're a platform and you're saying it's not our content. We're the platform, right? If you're a journalist, then what happens is, is you can do anything you want as CNN shows, but you're also responsible now. And so I think Twitter inadvertently is working towards being journalists away from platform. And the problem with that is now they can be sued. And that's something I think they should be thinking very hard about, right? Well, and then the other thing I thought of, everything came up. I thought the Covington kids, I wrote about the Covington kids in December, right? I published my year review. And when the Covington Catholic boys school MAGA hat thing showed up, there were people all over Twitter calling out people to go commit acts of violence against these kids. None of them got booted, right? Very, That's way worse Zero Hedge did. Very prominent Twitter users, definitely Sean King sent people after wrong. them. Um, yeah, some CNN types and stuff like that. And you know, I'm going, you know, I'd happily call out the troops and have them go beat the fuck out of those guys, right? I know, you know, I, I, I have, a, unfortunately, a little too much frontier justice in me. So I think there's the law and there's morality and they don't always work together so well. And when it's law versus morality, for me, morality takes over. And so I, po I posted something the other day where it's a woman who, uh, who says you should prosecute accused sexual offenders even if you don't think you can win. To be fair to the victims. What I said was she should be disbarred. And that's true, actually. I think the law says that's, that's a disbarment. But, but, but what's also true is that... Um, it's also true is I don't understand why people don't take her out. Like, I, I don't understand, like, imagine you're a divorce attorney and you're an evil bastard, right? There's, to be a divorce attorney, there, you probably have to have a sadistic streak in you anyways, right? But I can imagine in these bad divorces where everything's going bad and the attorney being a super douche. I don't understand why they're not getting whacked. <laughs> I don't understand why some guy who's being abused by some attorney doesn't just say, fuck it, get his gun and go kill the guy. I just, I, and I'm not calling on them to do it, right? I'm saying, I don't understand why they don't do it. Right? So I had lunch the other day with a kid who did four years in prison on a false conviction. I know it was false. I know, know it was false. And, uh, and I didn't say this to him because I didn't want to say it to him, but... I, the person who falsely accused him, they'd be in the bottom of Cuba Lake if I had my say. You know, with chains wrapped around their ankles, I would do a, you know, Sammy the Bull Gravano moment on them if I thought I could get away with And if I had the balls to actually do it, you never know what you'd do. But my moral side of me says, you know she's lying? I don't have any problem with, you know, gone. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because you, you said earlier that you thought Twitter's algos shut down Zero Hedge, but it's actually a BuzzFeed reporter who... Well, that guy himself is a piece of work. That BuzzFeed reporter is a super loser himself. Yes, and I mean... started regret, I think, doing it because I, people are plowing through his Twitter feed and discovering... He, he, it's like, remember Sarah Jong, mm -hmm. who went to the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times as an editor? Do you remember her? Yeah, she's still there at the New York Times, I think. I know. They, she's quietly walked out the back door. I think they said, look, we're not going to kowtow to the public demanding for her head. But by the way, in six months, we'll just kind of nudge her out the back door and get her out of here. I think she's gone. But, but what happened is, so for the people who don't know the story, this woman who, who had been out there 
posting vile tweets, like saying my big regret in life, here's one for you. She said, my big regret in life is that, uh, is that I may never have a chance to kill a white man, right? Now that's at a whole nother level than me saying someone who falsely accuses me of um, and I don't know if I would, but my moral, my moral, my moral brain says that's the frontier justice, right? You hang horse thieves. Yeah. You hang horse thieves. You don't wait around. You just say, okay, I stole my horse. You're out of here. Oh. And so, uh, no, I was going to bring it back to this Buzzfeed reporter. Like he's got questionable tweets, and he himself. Oh, the horrid. Yeah. Normalizing pedophilia, to be specific, and then on top of, on top of that, he himself doxed somebody, like three years ago or four years ago. So normalizing pedophilia is where got Milo Yiannopoulos booted, and right. Milo Yiannopoulos was talking about him being molested when he was a kid. So some guy gets molested as a kid and starts talking about pedophilia. He kind of gets a pass out of me, right? He, he's got. He should be careful what he says. But he, you still have to say, yeah, but he's damaged. So, so, you know, be aware of that, right? Here's a guy who's been hurt. Yeah. And uh, so I had one the other day. Um, so I posted, this goes back to Zero Hedge. One of my first tweets was, Zero Hedge, uh, Twitter's a bunch of Nazis. We have found where evil lurks, right? And someone sent an email to me and to three of my colleagues, including the chair, it was a silver-tongued email talking about how it's inappropriate to use a Nazi analogy due to the Holocaust. And then they sort of implied that I said shit that I didn't say. They said that I was talking about the filthy markets and China and dirty people, and I had no chance. I didn't even think the virus came from there. Um, and then they talked about how the chemistry department should, should re regain its, its reputation by straightening me out, right? So I was so mad I was shaking. I was so mad I was shaking. Why? If he had sent me the, the email, we could have had an amazing exchange and I could have said, Here, here's where you're missing out. They copied my colleagues. And I, I told my wife and she said exactly what I said myself. She said, he's trying to hurt you. So to me, him copying my colleagues is an act of violence. People, people said to me, it's not an act of violence. I say, you're taking my fucking livelihood from me? That's not active violence. I beat the fuck out of you for that one. We're back to we're back to frontier. Someone sent an email to my dean, who by the way is a big free speech guy, and he couldn't give a fuck. You send an email to my dean, do not get near me. Right. Because they're trying to hurt me and they're trying to use my job and my livelihood to hurt me. So I, I would I would simply, you know, would I do it? Probably not. But I would have no moral compunction about beating that person into a fucking coma. I don't. I, no, no. I agree with you. But why? Why do you think these people are attacking livelihoods? Like this, this Buzzfeed reporter. Because they're super douchebags. And so here's the funny part about the story. So I think the guy was probably Jewish, right? The, the the Gentiles tend not to get hung up on the Holocaust as much. And if I did respond to him, if he had sent the email to me, I would have said, first of all, you're trying to suppress free speech. That's the problem. I would have also said, by the way, I speak truth. You know that's true, right? That's okay. Don't worry about it. You know that's true. 
that I talked to Twitter and I talked to, and, and when Peter Bogosian got attacked by Portland State College, I went at the provost and, and, and I, when Tim Hunt, uh, Nobel Prize winner, um, his reputation went on the rocks and seen Taleb and I went at the Royal Society, I'm told. So I speak truth to power. And I, one day there was a guy on Twitter who picked up a scientific paper, a guy I know well, and he picked up on a, a bad hypothesis in a scientific paper. They all like, that's rare. But then he proceeded to do like 25 straight tweets where he beat on the guys. And these guys were hypothesized sort of outside their comfort zone. And so they just, they fucked up. They made a mistake. It was kind of a stupid hypothesis. I don't care. But he kept beating on him and beating on him. And I was going to jump in and try to sort of disarm him with some humor. And I said, you know, I don't want to fight with this douchebag. And I've known him for decades. I said, I don't want to fight with this douchebag. And about a week later, I'm going, you fucking pussy. <laughs> Didn't want to fight with this guy. What I should have done is I should have gone out on Twitter. And he had these obsequious followers. And they were sort of kind of signing off, yeah, Dan. And I'll say that. Any chemist following his name is Dan, Dan the douchebag. What I should have done is gone out there and made him wish he hadn't gotten up that day. I should have said, Dan, you're being a super douche and you think you're so fucking smug and you think you're so fucking smart. This guy's working on his skill set. You don't. Right. And I could have made him so wish he hadn't attacked. But here's a, you remember the movie. Um, remember the movie uh, 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 with Tom Cruise in it where he has to defend the two Marines. What's that called? Um, he had to defend two Marines that supposedly hazed the guy and he died. Oh, um... and Tom you know what it is yeah is in uh nicholson in that too yeah nicholson is you can't handle the truth yeah, right nicholson yeah. and so at the end the, the the hero marine who finally understood the whole thing he said we let them bully him we let them bully him and i felt so bad after that. i go uh, and i try not to do that right I see a DUI, I call it in. I see some guy weaving down the road, I call it in. And it's not that I didn't DUI my way through my teens and shit. But, um, and, uh, and so I, I was going to tell this guy, by the way, if more people had spoken truth to power, maybe so many Jews might not have died. Right? You ever thought about that, douchebag? And so may, maybe if more non-Jewish Germans had stood up and say, no, this is wrong. And well, so he's telling me to shut up and I'm going, you don't make sense. Yeah. You're not making any sense. It's logical inconsistencies there. Guy's going to be in my, I have a whole section coming on zero hedge and free speech and stuff in next November, December. Uh, it, it just jumped out at me. There'll be some Corona, there'll be some free speech. There'll be some, I've, I've been thinking about all these sort of layers of the onion. Well, that's, well, I felt compelled to speak up over the weekend too, because it does feel like it is getting to everybody, a point where everybody zero hedge haters. Yeah, well, it is getting to a point where it feels like people are just sitting down and taking it on the chin, and a lot of civil liberties are being taken uh, without anybody standing up. Zero hedge won't be hurt too badly, right? So, so by the way, zero hedge already had uh, shadow sites up within a day or two, and. Uh, and um, I wasn't sure if they were legit zero hedge or not. So what I did is I went to the one guy who I exchange ideas with quite a bit from zero hedge. And I went to his following 
and he had followed his most two recent follows were were those two sites i said okay i think those are zero hedge phantom sites and and they're not following actually one of them one of them followed the other one one's already been removed right but here's the deal zero hedge has got huge following i don't go to zero hedge because i saw him on twitter i go straight to zero hedge right and as long as i can paste zero hedge articles on twitter they'll lose some revenue but but it's not gonna be huge. But but what if what if Dave Collin gets booted off Twitter? I'm now I'm now totally gagged. I don't have a website. I don't have anywhere to go. I'm done. My 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 voice in the public square is gone. Dave, I want to be uh if if we keep speaking this loudly, I want to be surprised that that happens one day. I mean, that way this is going. Ball of flames, right? Well, I'll go out and ball of do you think the the logical inconsistencies that uh, have arisen via these bans again uh, people being doxxed and people sending uh, mobs after the Covingtons in the past but zero hedge being banned do you do you think the uproar is getting to uh, the boardroom of Twitter and they're, they're noticing there there may be error in in these ways you know this book surveillance capitalism where i said they're not getting there yet one thing is absolutely clear is that the digital world looks like a supranational overseeing organization to me it's no longer it's not just people scraping up keywords um and again why i'm disappointing the book so far which maybe i'm just prejudging it is they're describing in great gory detail at how good they are scraping up every last shred of your life but when these companies no longer start selling you products with tremendous efficiency, which I view as a net plus, right? If, if I'm looking for mattresses and all of a sudden I start getting mattress ads, you know, is that really a horrifying moment in history, right? But, but when they start doing things like saying, okay, um, uh, because we've scraped this, I no longer can get healthcare because I've got a gene for something or, right? You know, or if they're listening to this podcast and I go to buy a gun and they say, well, you know, zero Google has figured out that uh, that column has a violent streak in them, right? And all of a sudden I can't buy a gun. There was an instance this week, over the weekend, where some guy was prevented from getting a job because they scraped his Twitter and he said fuck too many times. Right. Well, and and what helps me, so th- this is, I'm going to ask this question. One time I was going to get in a real brawl and some lawyer who was just a friend said, why? I said, if not me, then who, right? It gets back to this idea of don't let bullies bully, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and, and here's the deal. I, I, not only is there a thing called academic freedom, if I was at Pfizer, I couldn't have a Twitter feed. And I'm not saying Pfizer's bad. I consult for Pfizer, so maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe Pfizer knows I tweet and they don't give a fuck. I'm just a consultant, right? Maybe they don't care. But, um, but if I work for Pfizer, I bet you they'd say no. I bet they'd say either shut up or get out. And again, I like Pfizer as a company, so and, you know, I should stop using them as my example, but it's my instinctive one since I, I, that's my strongest tie. And, uh, but, it, but at Cornell, not only is there, um, is there the stated academic freedom of academia in general, but there's also, uh, I think within Cornell's administration, a particularly strong academic freedom. So by, by example, uh, a week ago I had a meeting with the Dean. I didn't know what it was about. He just wanted to chat. And, it, 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 and, and 
couple months ago, I'd had meetings. I, we had a meeting with the, uh, with a couple of guys who were in charge of watching social media for Cornell. Now the universities all watch social media. You go, why? Well, they want to know if, if bad things are being said about Cornell. They want to know if there's a scandal brewing that they don't know about. Um, I happen to know a guy who, <laughs> he was former president of Microsoft. And I chat with him, I don't know, once a week. And Cornell <laughs> doesn't seem to have a good beat on him. I'm going, to, guys, in the world of fundraising, this strikes me as a screw up, right? Mm -hmm. So I actually reached out to Cornell's Twitter feed and said, by the way, don't nag him, but this guy's former president of Microsoft. I, you're not following him. You know, you should follow him. You should start paying attention. Um, so, so they follow, but they're also worried about shooters. So if some kid's saying, hey, I'm locking and loading, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get even with Cornell tonight, they want to know. Mm -hmm. right? And that actually terrifies schools. That's a big one. And so they, we had a meeting. I'm thinking, oh, fuck. The, the social media guys are coming to a faculty meeting. And I'm probably the most visible Cornell person on social media, even though I'm not the most famous scientist. And, uh, and at one point, the guy after the meeting says to me, he says, I love your Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> I go, that's really good. That's, that's fantastic, actually. And then uh, I, so I had a meeting with the dean last week on Tuesday. And it was just a chat, apparently. I didn't know it was just a chat. You just want to see how things were going. And he says, I like your Twitter feed. And then I said, well, that's good to hear. I said, by the way, if there's anything you don't like, give me a, send me an email, right? I, I would never knowingly hurt Cornell. And he said, no, no. He said, what good is tenure if you can't speak up? So we have a good administration, but it's almost the only job in the world that's not self-employment that you can do this. So for example, when that was at that coach, the, the, the NBA team that tweeted in support of Hong Kong, right? What happened after that? GM. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shit storm. That's a shit storm. So the fact of the matter is there's so few people in this world who have the soapbox, who aren't some guy named sheeple analytics. Who's one of my favorite Twitter feeds, but, but therefore has no lack some credibility. You know, you want to hear from, people you know. I like to read about David Rosenberg because he's a real person, right? Um, and so the, the bottom line is, is that I realize that I have a precious, precious soapbox. One of my colleagues once said, you know, do you really have to do this? It's a guy who doesn't like, I think, I think he doesn't like me on Twitter, but part because he just likes to sort of con control. He, he, he really likes to control the, the, the sort of flaw. This guy could be a CEO of a corporation. I said, yes, I do. I have to do this. I have to do it. No, I agree. If not, if not you, then who, if not me, then who like, and no, again, stand, it's, up to, stand up to the Nazis. No, it's getting to a point. Like you said, with the, with the digital surveillance, say that's something I say a lot in this podcast. We're being cattle herded into a digital panopticon and we know. Oh yeah. We need people and to stand up. People be, they start using it against us. So if I, I once saw an interview of a guy from the Stasi who said, if you think the government's going to collect data and not use it, I knew you're crazy. Yeah. Right, right now, they seem tame, but won't always be. There'll be social credits. Right? There'll be, oh, by the way, your insurance for your car is higher because you're a social douchebag. Right? I mean, the 
the infrastructure needed to implement that it arguably might already be in pay, place. It's just a matter okay. of, of flipping well, after the switch. After all I know, I'm paying a hundred dollar premium on my insurance company because I'm reckless. The <laughs> uh, my insurance premiums on my car are higher. Yeah. Well, this guy obviously has a has a uh, he's an old man skateboarder intellectually, right? Well, this is, uh, I didn't want to bring Bitcoin up in this podcast. I didn't think we needed to, but this is why I like Bitcoin so much. It, it is a, it's, a tool, it's a tool against uh, against that digital panopticon. At least I think it no, is. I, get, I, I own gold, right? <laughs> it's just, it's, we just come at it from a different angle. And by the way, tell your Twitter followers, you can keep telling me to buy Bitcoin. It's clear that I'm the bogey now because they see me, they go, this guy. We can win him over. Oh, that's right? what they want. I've been DM'd. We're going to turn Dave. Let me point out to your followers right now. The day I buy Bitcoin, it will mark the top. <laughs> right? They got to get the last person in the pool before they throw the toast rubbing in. I'm that guy. So one day I said to John Husband, who's as bearish as any of the FinTwit guys, I said, John, you have to go bullish because this this – because this bull market won't end until you throw in your chips. And, and he says, you have such a, you have such a grisly view. And I said, I like to think of it as ghoulish. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so somehow they got to suck me into Bitcoin. If I buy Bitcoin, you guys should sell with both hands because I, I will be the top. That will be it. Well, if you bought, if you bought a little today, I, I don't think that would be the top. Um... Now, uh, somehow I have to actually set myself up to get totally humped. <laughs> Do you, uh, to me, you say buy five percent gold as an insurance policy. It's not. It's not big enough. So a, a small amount of Bitcoin, it, it doesn't interest me. If if I if I get landed to an idea, if you guys win me over, it's going to be balls in the pool. What would it take to win you over? Um, where are your biggest questions right now after our last conversation? Oh, we went through all these in the last episode. I still think the sovereigns will try to squish you guys when they have to. How would they do that, though? By making it outlawed. It's not letting people accept it. What's that? It's not letting merchants no, accept it. Like, we, again, we went through all this last time, but if Bitcoin can only trade with Bitcoiners, and the minute you step outside your sort of known universe, this closed circle of Bitcoiners, and you want to buy a car, and the sovereigns say, boom, you just broke the law then Bitcoin's got a problem. You know that's true. You know that that's your biggest risk, that, 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 that when the sovereigns decide you guys are a risk to the system. Now, I think the best argument Bitcoiners have made to me is that we don't have to become a risk to the system to be successful. I, that's the best argument of them all, is that, is that you can be just another currency. That, and then if it is big enough where it is a risk to the system where the governments feel they need to act, doesn't that basically validate the, the whole argument yeah, for that's Bitcoin? A that's a long shot bet to me. Yeah. And, and if they do that, my goal will pay me handsomely. You and I will be defenders. You and I will be fighting over which yacht we want to buy. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm on your team, Bitcoiners. Just don't show up at my door dressed in a tie with a Bible under your arm. <laughs> <laughs> Would not be surprised if that happens. Uh, now, I, you know, and I can, I have them, and they're they're very civilized because they can sense that I'm I'm highly sympathetic to them, and they're going, we got to get column. This is like guys, uh, like a fraternity rush now. 
and uh, and and I, I appreciate that I'm now a bogey for you guys, but uh, uh, um, I don't think you're going to get me. And if you do, uh, you could get me when I think it's settled down and it's no longer a speculative play toy. Then I then I could say, okay, now I'm, I'm good. As long as the major role of Bitcoin right now is is that people think it's going to go up, which you know most of the players are hanging out because they go, I'm going to I'm going to make a lot of money. Yeah, right. I'd be lying if I. They're not, I they're not saying I'm gonna buy Bitcoin because in five years it'll still be worth ninety three hundred dollars, right? Yeah. Isn't that where it's at, right? Something like ninety three hundred. Yeah, What's the price? It's just nine two six two, right around there. But who's keeping track? I, I have a tab. I have a tab open. It has the price. On. Right, but you're not buying it. That most of the buyers, I think, you're not buying it because they say, "Look, in five years it'll still be worth that," and that's why I like it. They they want to make money. They want to make the money, as do I with my gold and silver and whatever, right? And as, by the way, as do all the guys who buy fangs and all that shit. But I think when the shit hits the fan, the fictional shit, the, um, the, uh, I think the, you know, the, the companies that have, you know, no earnings, they're going to go down the tank hard. Bitcoin, I have no opinion on. Um, gold uh, often gets beat up, but it tends to be a token beating. And, uh, and, you know, my question is, when do I start buying equities again? I've been, I've been spending a lot of energy. What, what level would get me to say, okay, here are 20 companies. They have dividends. They do this. They do that. Because what happens in bear markets is that everyone gets pounded, right? You, you throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? The, the fangs don't get beaten down 80%. And have Procter and Gamble stare at you and flip you off, right? Everyone gets hurt. You have liquidity problems. You get selling. You sell what you can, not what you have, right? Everything happens. And so I'm confident that in the next serious downturn, and serious downturn for me is not 25%, folks. 20. If I thought 25% was the downside, I'd be 100% all in. Boom. I I think we got a potential 75% downside. Wow. And, and until it gets to 45 or 50, I'm still not interested. Although I might imagine nibbling at some cool stuff, you know, some, some, you know, you know, Philip Morris or something, right? You know, that sort of stuff. Or maybe I can imagine getting sucked into the energy world. If, if, if energy got the crap kicked out of it, I'm convinced we still going to power shit with energy. So. Well, since our last conversation, a lot of fed policy has changed, right? Uh, I believe we, we last convened before it became apparent that it was the hedge funds in need of liquidity um, in yeah. the repo markets. Uh, so, so where if, if I'm thinking the timing right, there were a hundred theories and no data. Yes. Right as to what the repo collapse was, and now they're claiming it was the hedge funds. There's people who are pretty mad that they're bailing out hedge funds, right? They say, well, you know, they have to bail out hedge funds. I go, no, they don't. These guys should liquidate. Well, and if these guys are 5x leverage buying shit, they should be they should be taken out on their shields, right? That's how it works. Well, do you think it's a systemic risk? How much how much pension money is what in these hedge funds? Mean? So when the shit hits the fan, we'll still have factories, we'll still have cars, we'll still have real estate, right? If you look at a plot of the Dow from 1905 to, to 1940, I've, I've used this plot. You. you 
you see this massive rise in the 20s to the bubble, and then you see this collapse, and then you see it pull out of there. And, and if you just extrapolate through, you can take out the rise and the collapse and just erase it. You could, you could fill it in with pixels, and it would look like the thing just slowly, methodically rose. And so I, 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 you don't destroy well when you wash out the system. You simply change owners, right? Why so that? if you've got a valid business, right, it's still a valid business. Why is it so hard to get back to that these days? Though? Why does the Fed want to prop everything up? A bunch of douchebags. <laughs> no, they, they really do. So when ecologists and economists stopped trying to understand complex systems and started trying to control them, we got in trouble. Yeah. Right? We have a, we have a wildlife refuge up the lake that's a national bird refuge. It's, it's this beautiful swamp. And... Uh, it's 10,000 acres. How do I know? My wife's one of the experts. 10,004 acres. There's, there's trivia for you. And um, they decided there was some invasive species they didn't like in there, so they remediated it. And they completely destroyed the fucking thing. Instead of just letting Mother Nature kind of run its course and deal with shit, they destroyed it. The Fed is now so cornered, right? When they can't raise rates more than a couple percent without the system just just hitting a bridge above it, they're toast. And these idiots, I don't even know if they know they're toast. That's the problem, right? If they think they're not toast, then they're, they're a scary bunch. Yeah, and I know timing tops is never, uh, is a dead man's uh, game, but it does seem in the last, since September, the pace at which they've had to pivot their policy is quickening uh, to a point where they'll just have to, yeah. And they've now they've now officially claimed that the things they're doing with sheep are not unnatural, right? And they've officially claimed that there's just normal monetary policy. I'm going, no, you're lying. You guys are lying. You know that if someone had asked Greenspan about that, who was also a douchebag, if someone had asked Greenspan, you know, 20 years ago, would this ever happen? He would have said no, right? Well, I got an email. This morning, I got a love. I get emails from people that sometimes make me both proud and so warm. So, so about four days ago, I had an email from Stephen Roach, executive director of Morgan Stanley, right? One of the big guns who said some very flattering things about what I wrote in December. I got one this morning from uh, a Peter Warburton, and he's this big gun. He was a member of the, what's called the Shadow Banking Committee, and these are guys who actually call monetary policy the way they think it should be. And it's this fairly elite group. He's one of the big guns. And I remember years and years ago, he said, if the Fed ever starts buying assets in quantity, we're in so much trouble. And then they started doing it. And you know, I'd been in communication with them off and on. And they said, hey, Peter, how do you like those asset purchases? He's been, oh, this is just awful. Yeah, and I think he's catatonic at this point. but. Yeah, you don't even have to go back to Greenspan. Bernanke was saying in 2011, 2012 that they never monetized the debt. That's exactly what they're doing right now. Yeah, he lied. There's clips of him saying that it's not monetizing the debt, and there's clips of him saying it's monetizing the debt. I, I, I am so convinced. I don't, I'm not convinced Bernanke doesn't understand the Depression, although I can't exclude that possibility, but I'm convinced that he lies about it. So here's a guy who talks about the Great Depression and never ever in public blames the 20s. That's that's the one thing he's I remember. Either, about, he's either lying or he's an idiot. 
Well, that's the one thing I remember as like a 17 year old in the post 08 aftermath when he went on 60 minutes. And that was like what the whole episode was about was him talking about the great depression and how he needed to fix and prevent that problem in our modern times. Right. Well, the way you do it is you don't, the way you prevent the 1930s is to not have the 1920s. And anyone who understands the, this is where the Austrian business cycle guys have it right. There's a lot of parts of Austrian economics people don't like because it's got this libertarian attachment to it. And some of the extreme libertarianism, the real sort of hands off everything, you know, we need referees on the field, right? Um, but, but, but where they have it right is that the Austrians say that when you have a huge credit-based bubble, you get a huge credit-based bust, right? No way around it. You know, if your credit card, if you got 40,000 bucks on your credit card, you're fucked. And, and there's nothing that's going to make you not fucked, right? Yeah. And, and I, I did a real vision podcast. That was fun. And he, he said, he said, well, you know, what's the problem with him picking up debt? He was being rhetorical to be fair, right? He wasn't agreeing. But he said, what's the problem with them keep picking up debt? I said, well, what if the credit card company offered you 2% interest and your wife filled your fucking cards with debt? How'd you feel about that? Right? I mean, you know, you're eventually going to hit the wall. Mm-hmm. Eventually there's this, I'm a big believer in the thermodynamics of it all. I believe that when something's way out of equilibrium, it will find its way back. There'll be a spark. There'll be, there'll be, oh, I got oh, that one I have to return. Um, not now, though. Um, now, there will be some draft in the room that will knock over the house of cards. I, you know, in chemistry, when you get way out of equilibrium, you get explosions. In geology, you get earthquakes, volcanoes. Maybe this right? will be the coronavirus. The coronavirus could be that. Well, that's an interesting thing. So one of the thoughts I had is, does the, the, I don't, so there's, um, you know, they use the word catalyst all the time, right? Mm-hmm. A catalyst is something that makes a reaction go faster, but never gets consumed, right? And so they'll say, what's a catalyst that would make stocks go up? There is no catalyst that would make stocks go up. To get something further from equilibrium, you have to add energy. That's not a catalyst. You add energy. You have to pump it up. Civilization is taking energy out of the ground and creating this tremendous amount of order where there was disorder. And that order is costly. Anyone who studies physics or chemistry knows that when you take something that's disordered and you make it ordered, you have to use enthalpy. That's what, that's what fossil fuels are, enthalpy. And you create civilization by taking vast reserves of enthalpy from the fossil fuels and you create negative entropy, you create order. And the minute you start, stop putting in enthalpy, you lose your order right? The buildings collapse and cracks in the sidewalk and buildings fall and you end up in road warrior, right? And, and, and you can't catalyze that. Catalysts send the system towards equilibrium, not away from it. So the question is, is does the coronavirus, does it have to hurt the economy badly to get a big effect? Or does it have to just vibrate it? Does it have to just be a spark? And given I think it's way out of whack, it could just be the spark. Now, you want my theory on what the coronavirus is? I've never said this in public. I've told about three people what the coronavirus is about. Here it is, public domain. You got it first. You've got the breaking story. Very honored. There it comes. Um, 
I, 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 I had a, a chat, the, I was batting ideas back and forth. The other Einhorn and Roach, right? Talk about, talk about an interesting thing. I bounced it up both. Uh, Roach was interested. Einhorn said, I don't think they would do this. If you had a banking system that was so beyond repair, and you're the authorities in China, they're shit in a brick, right? The one thing I think the Chinese authorities are terrified of is social unrest. Now, beta test site is Hong Kong, right? They're wrestling with Hong Kong. And if you said to Jinping, you know, who did my Bob, um, what would happen if that spread to Beijing? What would happen if that spread to Wuhan? What would happen? And, 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 and what if it happened because they didn't have jobs, right? And their lives started collapsing. And it's because you fucked up the banking system it'd be a pandemonium, right? It would be regime change time, right? What if, what if the proximate cause is a pandemic? Who are they going to blame? Mother nature. Right. At the end of World War II, people are sitting on the rubble of their houses. They don't know what they're going to eat. They don't know if they're going to live. They don't know if they're going to make it through the winter. No one is saying Goldman Sachs owes me money. No one is saying that guy robbed me. No one is saying anything. They're just trying to figure out how they're going to live. 50% of the debt in Europe got erased by World War II. I'm not saying they fought the war to erase the debt, but that's the effect. So that's the, the thing that caused the reset. And people just start over and they do so voluntarily because that's your choice. So a coronavirus epidemic could cause the house of cards to fall and not point a finger at the authorities. Nothing would surprise me. I mean, right. Yeah. And you know, it killed off a whole bunch of baby girls, right? I mean, they drowned them, millions of them, right? They, the Chinese authorities, they have organ donor gulags and stuff, right? The Chinese authorities have it in them to do some pretty bad shit. And said, Hey, we're going to be in trouble. Let's just have a pandemic. As people aren't donating organs, they're having them taken from them. <laughs> What's that? So those people aren't donating their organs. They're having them stolen from them. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, but, but there's a lot of organs being shipped. Put yeah. it that way. And, and so so the, there's something about the, uh, about the Chinese authorities that has a real cold, cold quality about it. I, I'm not sure it's as bad as some of the other authoritarian worlds. Like, you know, maybe it's not as bad as Stalin or whatever, but... And, and, and there are people in China living very well. Are they so, though? They're they're subjected to the digital panopticon in all hours. Rich, you know, right? There are some. There's a lot of rich people, right? But if you get too rich, they they knock you down a step, right? Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true. And uh, and that gets to the wealth inequality problem everywhere, right? I think I think. I think that uh, I think our next recession is going to be a huge problem. Uh, Bernie's picking up steam in the elections. Bernie didn't scare me in 16 because I, I got, you know, the system's robust. They'll neuter him. The left should have said about Trump, the system's robust. It'll neuter him, right? Uh, the problem now is, is the politics are getting so sort of left-leaning that now Bernie looks more dangerous to me because his ideas are not viewed as kooky. No. I mean, have you seen the Project Veritas videos of his 
as, pe- uh, as people on the ground. See, I, I defended Bernie on those because because those are just wackadoodles who somehow you know when when David Duke endorses Trump, it's not Trump's fault, mm-hmm. right? And when some whack job endorses Bernie, depends on how high up. If it was Bernie's campaign organizers at a high level, then you go, that's a problem. If it's some mentally unstable guy who's just showing up at the local campaign office doing shit, that's a different story. Yeah. But, but that shows you the whack jobs that are out there. Right. But Bernie's president and the populace has now come, and the Overton window is open wide on, on socialism. Now we have a problem. Yeah. Well, I think it's definitely getting, getting wider, wider that over time. Overton window. Uh, it's, I mean, that's why, you know. But I can't. I can't support Biden either. Oh, he can't even. He can't even speak anymore. He looks like. There was a picture of him kissing his granddaughter on the lips. Ugh. And everyone's gone. Oh my god! But I think what they're doing is they're trying to show that that Joe's just like I don't know, like an Italian or something. He's just huggy, touchy feely because he certainly is not molesting his granddaughter, right? And I think that was all about trying to show that when the videos of Joe groping all the young girls come out, they'll say, oh, that's just what Joe does. Yeah. Right? So the sort of front running is his pedophilia. I don't know if he's a pedophile, but he, he sure seems like a dirty old Uncle Joe to me. Yeah, he's definitely very creepy, at least. And, and, and when the media, when those stories broke about him groping women, the media was very careful not to go near the... the 12 and 14 year old girls the media yeah. kept showing him helping adult women yeah like that biker chick and from like uh clearly all those you know almost prepubescent kids getting getting putting his hand on their tits and stuff you don't believe this go to youtube it's yeah, all over YouTube. the videos are out there if you haven't seen them and you want to be creeped out YouTube. Yeah, just Joe. yeah you you go to youtube and you do some search and youtube might be cleaning them out um, I've noticed YouTube seems to be my, when I search stuff on YouTube now, it's much harder to find stuff. I find you get a whole bunch of bullshit debris that looks commercial. Yeah. I mean, they're all, I mean, this is how we can wrap it up. All these social media companies are, are definitely, uh, beginning to tighten the ropes on, on free speech and who, and well, who. they're also, they're doing it under the, the cloak of saying that we're, that if you're not a profitable YouTuber, that we reserve the right to boot you. But that also will provide cover for booting an awful lot of people who are doing some damage. No, I, I believe they want to, uh, in their own words, CEO of YouTube and some people on the board of Twitter filter out the truth and uh, create more authoritative authoritative views. And uh, oh, I, I, let me let me before we get off here, I want to circle back to two things on the coronavirus that came up that are that are like shit that's too weird and we didn't get to them they're the big ones um one is that about a year ago a couple of guys got convicted stealing the coronavirus out of canada's number one virology lab and they got convicted and they had exported it to wuhan Jake, oh, that seems a little too coincidental for my taste, right? The second one that's fascinating is that um, in October, which is two months before the virus broke, 
the Gates Foundation put together a, a task force to simulate a pandemic, right? And they do this, the, the military does this. And what you do is you bring in generals and media people and they all sit around a horseshoe shaped table and they mock up some commercials and some newscasts. They try to convey what might happen. And the, the media guys would say, well, we'd be looking to do this. And the generals would be saying, we'd be looking. So they had like a five hour powwow on what to do with a pandemic. Their fake pandemic was a corona starting in Wuhan. Ugh. It's like five hours of video of them talking about an epidemic starting in Wuhan from a coronavirus. I'm going, wow, boy, good guess. Uh, right? I highlight films of it, but I have all five hours. And it's just, how do you find five hours, right? Um, I'm going through it. I'm going to see if I can find out if maybe that's bullshit. I saw a debunking of it. But the debunking was one of those ones where you go, God, that makes you guys look worse, not better, right? They go, well, it's a different coronavirus, and it's one from Brazil, whatever. You know, and you're going, I don't care. If that's the best you got to debunk that goddamn Gates Foundation thing, you're not convincing me of anything. Yeah. And in the same vein, I heard a very similar theory as well. I'm not going to name who told me this, but um, here's what he said. Uh, he made the case that uh, the coronavirus is probably a delivery mechanism for something potentially much worse. But this uh, incarnation of it is a relatively weak payload that could have been swapped out for something truly horrific in the sense that the U.S., DARPA and Canada has it on hand as a template just in case China got their hands on it to investigate it and it got loose. Um, right or they were trying to make a vaccine and got loose that way. Yeah, I know. I know. And so, uh, and Whitney Webb did some great journalism on DARPA's affiliation with that Wuhan facility. Didn't she? Whitney's out on the front edge of all these, these remarkably bizarre front edge questions. Yeah. And I, you know, I think she's very sincere. The fact that she's involved in all of them, you realize that she's kind of this really sincere Alex Jones flavored person. But then I, I listen to myself and I go, so are you, Dave? So, um, so, uh, and I've done podcasts that were received enthusiastically, but there's people who say, I refuse to listen after they started talking about such and such. And I go, well, you're narrow fucking minded, dude. Yeah. That's your problem, right? If you can't listen to me spout off crazy ideas and, and, and not process it and say, well, okay, I'll put it in the back of my mind. And all of a sudden you see some news story later and you go, ah, oh, shit, that's kind of what Colin was talking about. If you can't do that, you're just kind of a nitwit, in my opinion. Of course, the guys who can't do it are no longer listening. Right? We've already filtered them out. No, I agree. There are a lot of people want to stick their head in the sand and not believe any of this is plausible. And that's, that's like a thing we should end it on this note. We're just talking about plausible scenarios of how this yeah, can Yeah, even possible scenarios, right? And, you know, I had a friend who was, who was on Wall Street. He was a Goldman commodity trader. I know him really well. And he said, for the truth a little bit, and he said that he would have beat the fuck out of someone if they mentioned the possibility that it was an inside job until a couple of his friends who were equally close said, watch this. And then he said, oh, my God, right? So sometimes it takes you a long time to wrap your brain around that, that there can be some bad stuff out there, right? There can really be some bad stuff. And, you know, Aristotle said, you know, an educated man can entertain an idea without endorsing it. Exactly. Right. People are afraid of ideas these days. I used an Einstein quote that was great. It said, most people can't, can't entertain an idea that's out, that, that goes outside the social context of their world. 
And, and then he said, most people can't even imagine it. That was right. Einstein. Right. So I, I take great pride in being able to say, okay, let's, let's go way the hell out there. Let's consider things that are, you know, let's roll the dice. No, I'm uh... I'd like to think uh, I'm in that same vein as well. Because if you can't explore these ideas. (laughs) Joe, you must be a bit of a whack job. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely a bit of a whack job. And uh, I watched the sunset behind you over that beautiful lake. I literally can't even see your face anymore. Um, I can turn on the light. We're probably out of here. Yeah, so now it's all in the dark. Symbolic. Symbolic. The sun is set. Um, you probably couldn't see me then either because there's probably a big shiny ball. Yeah, no, it was a beautiful, be- beautiful sunset over the lake tonight. You're lucky you get to, to see the, that every day. 10 to the 30th kilograms is what the sun is. 10 to the 30th kilograms. What's that? It's the sun. What is 10 to That's the 30th? Is it the size of it? That's the size of the 10 to the 30th power kilograms. That's ball of cold fusion. Yeah. Ball of hot fusion. Hot fusion. Without it, we would not have been able to have this conversation. And, Say uh, that again. So yeah. With the, yeah. And, yeah. And uh, you know, it's great this conversation now. At least we're not talking about climate change now. <sighs> that started a shit show. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it knocks people off the stage. When was the last time we heard from AOC? Uh, not not oh, no. not very. Not yeah, very someone recently. put it in place, right? Yeah. So if the coronavirus can knock a couple of those losers off the stage, maybe bring it on, right? Yeah. <laughs> we shall see. Dave. We should, I, in, in a month, we'll know. Two weeks, we should know. If you're watching the numbers and, and, and the numbers keep climbing in two weeks, you'll say, aha, they're not containing it. And then maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll have another conversation from our hospital beds. If or, that's the yeah, case. or maybe we're dead statistically. <laughs> Got it. You know, here's the problem. Spanish flu, by the way, the Spanish flu, guys, your age, the young, healthy males died the, at the highest mortality rate. Lovely. There, there's a thing called a cytokine storm where your immune response is so violent that you die. Uh, the healthiest immune systems just fried the person. Damn. That would, the young punks, not old men, my immune system's probably shot. I probably did too many drugs or something. <laughs> Well, the coronavirus, it's attacking the old, right? Not the, uh... I don't know. Do we know? No, we don't know. We don't know. It's the rumor I've heard, though. Um, yeah, I know. Some guy on the internet. <laughs> Dave, I can't thank you enough for your time again. This is always an incredible... Uh, sec- only the second time we've done this. But... I like it so much that your timing was perfect because I've been ideas have been swirling in my head. So help me get them together and think about it and bat them back and forth. I've sat down with no one for two hours and done this. So this was really helpful to me. Well, I'm glad I could be of help. Well, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll get the opinions of people who listen to this, uh, on Twitter. If we're still on it. Yeah. If we're still on it. Yeah. Yeah. Getting booted from Twitter. That would hurt. That would hurt. I think I, I, I realized that if I got booted from Twitter, it probably means I have to get a life. Uh, well, luckily, yeah, I have your email. I'd be able to email you and contact you, but hopefully you don't get kicked off Twitter. When was the last time you heard Milo Yiannopoulos? I actually did listen to a podcast with him a couple months ago, Thari Shafir, but that was the first time in years. Yeah. 
just an oddity now. He, they, they shot him up. They simultaneously took him off Facebook and Twitter the same week. Yeah. Right? They gagged him. Damn. It's not like he's right? I'm not supporting Milo's ideas. I'm supporting Milo. Supporting free speech. It's important to stand up free. for. Right. Stand up to power. Yeah. And thank you for doing that, Dave. Um, I know you got a couple calls. So, I am, by the way, if I ever disappear from Twitter, there's no way I'm leaving without uh, without announcing. So, if I disappear from Twitter, then someone should contact my wife or something, say what happened, because I'm I'm not just going to disappear from Twitter out of boredom. I will say, look, I'm taking a vacation. Don't worry about me. Um, and uh, we had a guy disappear from a chat board years ago, and he finally, after six months, showed up and said. I, I had a flesh-eating bacterial infection. Yeah, lovely. And so I have this idea. If, if I ever know I'm going to die, I'm going to hand over my password to Rudy Havenstein and let him <laughs> tweet from him. I'll send him a bunch of tweets. Say, here's some I'd like to put out there after I'm dead. So once you know I'm dead, but have a ball. Keep tweeting. Oh, yeah, we lobster for dinner again. So that's great. You know? and, and by the way, by the way, I don't see any, any, sign, of, uh, any sign of any of the liberal candidates who've died then. Yeah, they're all gone. They're, they're somewhere else. <laughs> I'd have sorts of tweets about what heaven looked like. And, 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 uh, and I probably have a mechanism where my family could shut it down if they felt the need to, but I tweets from heaven would be kind of cool. Be a legacy. Hey, there's some Bitcoin enabled dead man switches out there that you can use. You just got to let this Bitcoin thing go, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Had to do it. Had to do it. What I'm doing? I'm going to go S&H green stamps. You don't even know what they are. Long S&H. When you went to the grocery store, they'd give you these stamps depending on how much you spent. You'd paste them in a book and then you could buy shit with them. And the only guys who know what S&H green stamps are are my age. And so I always joke about going long S&H green stamps because this is clearly a bottom. They got to go. Like coupons technically? They're they're like coupons. They're stamps and you'd paste them in a book and then you could turn in the book to buy shit. It's, 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 like a, it's like a credit card with the you know, mileage shit in it. But you, when you went to the store, so they had green stamps and gold stamps and plaid stamps. But the SH green stamps, Google it when we get off here. You'll see what I'm talking about. And it was a way of accruing essentially the bonus points, like on a credit card. That's and weird. then you, and, 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 but it was, it was stamps with glue on the back, right? It was one of those things. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and it seems so normal at the time. And it's so 1960, right? I can't and, imagine, uh, imagine doing that today. Search S&H Green Stamp. You'll see them. You'll see pictures of them. You'll see books. People probably sell them on eBay for you know, five bucks a book or something. You know, it was kind of a coupon-based model. But it's different. You food value, and then you could spend it. Very interesting. Very right. interesting. I've got some research to do tonight. That's your assignment. Okay. <laughs> I'll right. see you later, dude. Dude, thank you. This is always a pleasure. Um, keep fighting a good fight, man. I will. You too. All you right. too. Protect me from your followers, though. <laughs> uh, I they have a mind of their own. I, I love Bitcoin. Here's, here's, here. I'm buying Bitcoin tonight, okay? Leave me alone. I'm buying Bitcoin tonight. <laughs> You heard it here first. That's the tweet going out. I, I'm going to go all, all in right, right now. Someone, someone send me an email. Tell me how to do it. 
<laughs> Download the cash app. I sent a whole bunch of money to Mount Gox and nothing happened. I don't understand. Ooh, ooh. Now you're, now you're, now you're going to piss people off. Oh, oh boy, I just turned a friendly crowd mad, didn't I? Um, yeah. <laughs> or easy these days, you just download the Cash App, Jack Dorsey's other company. Disclaimer, yeah. they, disclaimer they sponsor the podcast, but uh, you can buy it there too. Okay, I'm on it. Now I got to go to get them. <laughs> you know, I I, st I started saying I would not buy Bitcoin when it was ten bucks a ten bucks a piece. Hey. So so I I am I I really am the guy who did who sold his eight hundred shares of Apple founder shares eight hundred dollars worth of Apple founder shares. And uh, there's a video of me doing an interview with Russia Today in 2012. They asked me about Bitcoin, said I'm not interested. Hey, it's never too late. It's still early. A lot of upwards. Actually. It can be too late. <laughs> the, it can be too late. Uh, I thought it was too late in 2012. Yeah, it's true. You never take. That's why they shouldn't take my advice on anything. Right? My track record is abysmal for the last ten years. So, well, it's fun. It's been incredible. Um, okay. I, I, I can't, the sun is completely down. I can see a glimmer of myself in the window and like a little bit of the frame of your glasses well, at this point. I should have held up the, the lens to see the view. So for those people who are still with us, I, I can't imagine why you're still listening. But um, my house hangs off a hundred foot cliff looking west on the Cuba Lake. And I can literally throw like rotten fruit off my deck and hit the water hundred feet low. And uh, I have... I know how much I have. I have 350 linear feet of deck because I had to baby proof it for grandchildren. I only need 20 linear feet of deck, but I have 350 linear feet of deck. And, and, and then if that's not good enough, it turns out because it's on a cliff, there's no mosquitoes. It's sheer cliff, so there's no, there's no, there's no mosquito habitat coming up the cliff. And so we can sit outside till midnight and get, not get bitten. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. We get light-seeking bugs. That's it. <clears throat> and we'll sit out on the deck and have a hot tub out on the deck, you know. So it's just, I live in utopia, maybe only for another month or so. <laughs> if I go, I've told so many people, I just have to outlive my wife, right? I don't want to leave her to have to fend for herself. You know, she goes and it's like, oh, take me now. I'm fine. To me, life is not sacred or anything. It's just. Yeah, it starts to suck. I want to go. You're turning uh, you're turning into the Google ad from last night. Oh, that Google ad. Yeah, you know, someone said, why would Google advertise? Who are they, who are they advertising for? And I said, they're attempting to improve their image among those of us who hate them. Yeah. There is a question about what does what what is wealth creation? Google creates wealth. I mean, there's Google allows you to do things you couldn't do before inefficiently. It's not obvious to me Facebook creates any wealth whatsoever. To me, it's not obvious that scooping up information and allowing some seller to sell to you as some, instead of some other seller's wealth creation, you're just diverting money, right? So if, if Walmart comes to town and knocks out all the small stores, maybe you get a more homogeneous product, but it really is just sort of a wealth transfer, right? Warren Buffett never made wealth, he aggregated it. So the question is what... I like people to think about what's actually wealth creation. Again, the efficiency of Google's wealth creation, right? 
If I can look up the GDP of Somalia in 20 seconds, I save myself a lot of time if I want it, right? So that's wealth creation. And it's, but, but Facebook, I don't see much wealth creation there. Uh, Netflix is, 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 they, is Netflix that much better than having 40 channels? I don't know, right? It's hard. No, sure. Netflix is pretty terrible these days. There's nothing to watch on it anymore. And, and, and uh, you know, I don't even look at the modern day Apple shit as wealth creation because they're, they're not coming up with anything good. Like you could do with a five-year-old computer if they didn't fuck you up, right? Yeah, all their products are planned obsolescence too. They have planned obsolete. But you're like, just as happy with a with a with a you know five you know Apple iPhone five, except for the fact they've made it not work. But I, yeah, I actually prefer the Apple I, five because I, actually I had one around. until I couldn't download Audible. Because because Apple made it not possible to burn CDs, I got mad. People said you're you're a bonehead. Who burns CDs? I go. I like to swap them. I like to share them with friends. They made it impossible to burn CDs, and then and then they made it impossible to download the Audible onto my phone. So I had to buy a phone. Now, I didn't buy from them. I will not buy a new iPhone, but I upgraded to um, eight or something, so I can now download Audible, and and that's wealth creation. In fact, I can get audiobooks for 10 bucks that goes into my car. That's wealth creation. That's something that didn't exist before, right? But uh, Facebook's yeah. not wealth creation. Someone tell me what they create. What do they do? Facebook's, yeah, I mean, I haven't been on the app well, in, in quite information some time. Flows, Years. So, well, but you, Facebook's got you by the balls, totally. And I had a, a student who said, look, I don't have Facebook. I go, sure you do. You know, all those apps you have, they own them all. They're scraping your ass like there's no tomorrow. You don't have to have a Facebook app for them to get every shred of your personal life. Yeah. Right? That's why, like, I don't use Instagram that much anymore either. No, no, no. But I do use WhatsApp to stay. Any app you have. By the way, the Israeli intelligence guys are getting it too. So, you know, like <laughs> So, I'm, yeah. it still comes back to I don't care what they collect. I, I do, but I can't because I can't stop them. There's nothing that will stop them. What I can care about is what they do to me with them. And if they start doing shit to me with them, that's when we all have to lock and load and get out there and fight the good fight. Yeah, no, it's, I hate to say it, but I feel like a lot more people are, are feeling pushed to uh, that level well, where they are yeah. feel like uh, we might be on the precipice of, of a fight back. Well, this is the pro-Bernie, pro-Trump crowd, right? Both Both camps represent people who were pushing to the fringe to, to achieve something that they never would have believed they'd push that far to the fringe to achieve. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, and so, uh, and so they're both populists. That's what people don't even understand. Trump and Bernie are both populists. They're just right wing and left wing populists. You ever listen to the Bannon interviews, the Steve Bannon interviews? That's a super populist, yeah. super populist. Yeah, he's been on Real Vision a bunch. He was on Real Vision, and and after he went on with Kyle Bass, I I I contacted Stephen Roach, took the other side of that bat. I said, "Would you do a Real Vision?" And, and they did him the next week, right, to get the the bullish view of China. And uh, but yeah. but then I, there's a bat, there's a there's a uh, uh, 
a Bannon interview that I posted on Twitter about three weeks ago. That was the most amazing interview, actually. He talked about the whole Trump campaign and what was happening. He talked about when he brought out Juanita Broderick in the crowd at the debate and how that happened and what happened and all the scrambling behind the scenes to make it. Oh, it's a fascinating interview. And, and it was Bannon unfiltered on what was going on in the Trump campaign throughout the campaign. No, he's a very eloquent speaker very and concise. And too. Everyone likes uh, to call him a Nazi, and he is not a Nazi. Yeah. You know, it's quick. He's an Irish Catholic. Of course, I called someone a Nazi the other day. I called Twitter Nazis on Facebook, right? It's like, okay, I'll, I'm not calling anyone else a Nazi. But, uh, you know, punch a Nazi. Oh, God. How do you know? Right? Milkshake them. Oh, God. What are they doing? Right? That shit drives me crazy. Yeah. So. I mean, I have blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh, yeah, Nazi. pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin. That's what makes you a problem. <laughs> oh. Bitcoiners, Bitcoin, hey, Bitcoin fixes all of this, all right? It makes the world big better. Big round Bitcoins in over your eyes instead of quarters. It's <laughs> 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 my toll gold, to Hades. Gold Bitcoins on his eyes. I don't even remember why they used to do that with silver dollars. I can't remember what the argument was. Um, that was like that's what you the toll you played Hades in the underworld. Oh, you know, you know when 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 the phrase "Saved by the Bell," you know where that first showed up. They used to bury guys and have a string coming out of the ground such that if the guy woke up, he could ring it. <laughs> I did not know that. I just thought it yeah, was uh, that's a 90s a creepy show. One. That's a creepy one. It's like, can you imagine waking up going, oh, fuck. They buried me alive. They buried me alive. Where's that fucking bell? <laughs> <laughs> they, they went cheap on the bell? They cut the bell? <laughs> right? Uh, <sighs> You have to kill Bill yourself out of yeah, there. Yeah, that would really not be the way I'd want to go. That would really be... Nah. You, you would already be in hell at that point. Um, we had a kid shimmy down a chimney of a fraternity at Cornell, and he got stuck because it tapers. And he got mm -hmm. stuck, and I think he was alive for like 24 hours. And he was... Just suffocated to yeah, death. Yeah, well, actually, the joke that went around is he, he caught the flu. Um... But imagine being his parents and how everywhere you go, there are chimneys. Imagine uh, if you go, every time you see a chimney, you would think of your kid spending their last 24 hours wedged in a chimney, right? That would, I, I would, I'd off myself. I, there's just, there's no chance I would find happiness going forward on that. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Yeah, that, that's as good as I can Stay imagine. Well, yeah, stay away from. You have kids? Sorry, you have kids? Uh, in a couple of weeks, I will have my first. No. Okay, here's my advice. You know. yeah. Here you go. Pearls of wisdom after years of raising these bastards. Um, number one, open a, open a Word file on your laptop. It's not so important at first, but when they start spewing shit out of their mouths, when they're done with the back end, they start with the front end. They will say stuff that's so funny. Just at night, jot down some shit. You swear you will remember every bit of it because you go, oh, this is so memorable. And it's a blur. It'll open a Just, you know how I write my year in review. Just, just type some shit. If something happened that day where the kid said the funniest goddamn thing on the planet, type it. You don't have to know what to do with it. You don't have to ever read it again. 
just open up that file and just chronicle. The reason, the reason I did a better job than that than most is because I used to use the stories in class. And so I had the oral yeah. tradition. So I've got all these stories, especially my younger one, who was just an unbelievable pisser. And, uh, and, and then when they get to be teenagers, you got to let them go because they're such little shitheads. You'll be looking at them going, what, what did you do with my son? Or what did you do with my daughter? Right? And if it's your daughter, she'll be in your face. But your son, you can let him go into the cave like in Ben-Hur where he's in the, the Roman prison. He'll just go to his man cave and use his iPhone or whatever the next generation is and choke the chicken all day. But um, the daughter <laughs> will come out and make your life miserable. And, uh, and, uh, and I don't have a daughter, but I have friends. And uh, so there's just, the other thing is the first one, oh, everything seems to matter. You know, it's like you drop the food on the floor. Oh, you can't feed the kid. By the second one, you're throwing the food on the floor and say, go get it. <laughs> you really do lighten up. You really, you really stop worrying about the little shit. You, got, you know, uh, that's, we have the five minute rule. If the dog food stays on the floor for five minutes, so the dogs don't eat it. The kid can eat it still, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, we'll and around see, uh, one to two. So the terrible twos are complete and utter fiction. It, they are so fictional because the twos are fabulous. So, oh, here's another pearl of wisdom. Twos are the most dangerous air because that's when you're going to have another. And I'm convinced mm -hmm. the twos, the one to two zone is to get you to have another. And your wife just blew a bowling ball out of her, out of her crotch, right? And she could easily say never again, but those, the, these little cute bastards will get her to say, oh yeah, let's have another. And the teens are to get you to stop. <laughs> your window there and then where you say, okay, I'm going to have kids and you say, oh, I am never having another one of these again. That's, uh, I have seen that play out in my extended family. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're, uh, they're so fun. And, and some people think, oh, I wouldn't be a good parent. I go, you have no idea. You have no idea what it's like where all of a sudden your entire being directs straight at the kid. And you go, well, I don't go out. And you go, you know why? Because you don't want to go out anymore. You don't, you don't want to go out with your friends. You've got this fucking kid. And it's, it's the absolute center of your known universe. And, and you do so willingly. And then you stop watching football. Next thing you know, your voice goes up and you're missing your balls. <laughs> is that why your voice is yeah, so high? Yeah, that's exactly right. I watched the Super Bowl for the last time, for the, for, for the first time seriously um, in a couple of years because my wife doesn't like football. But she watched Friday Night Lights, the TV show, and she got mm -hmm. attached to the football. She says, I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl. And I go, fuck, this is so weird. And so, yeah, yeah. You know, men fix car, women fix men. It's that simple. And so, uh, I like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, so when I first got married, my wife was taking me to the doctor saying, this is fucked up. Can you fix it? This is fucked up. Can you fix that? And I'm going, they're not fucked up. That's normal, you know, you know, but they were. And so, um, yeah, you'll enjoy the, you'll enjoy it. And when they get to the teams, you can't win the fights. You got to just hang on by your nails. If you get into one of these, I can't lose any fights, you become a really shitty parent. Because they got to you know, let them go. And don't raise them like pussies, right? You, be like a boomer got raised. 
let them go outside and let them cut themselves and do stupid shit stuff and let them do stuff that looks maybe a little risky. And, and, uh, and if you have a daughter and a guy, I've never had a daughter, but it, it seems like it turns your brain into putty. You know, when she's 15, she's going to be getting, so here's the funny story. One of my colleagues, he's, he, he, he's a control freak, same guy. And his daughter's like 15 and that's driving him crazy. And she's down in the basement, all tangled up with her new boyfriend. And he said, and I can see it's eating him alive. And he says, I go down there and they're untangled. And I go to shake his hand and it's all sweaty. And I go, I go, that's not sweat. <laughs> that's me, oh, Dave. You don't want right to off like in that. scanners, right? Like in boom, just blood and gore coming out of the, the hole in his shoulders. And I was so proud of that one. I was so, oh God, that was great. Sometimes I just, I'll, I'll do myself. So you will have a ball. And even when they're teenage, you know, if you talk to a teenage holding, teenage monitoring parent, and, and they'll, they'll have someone who's like 15 and you go, oh, they're real monsters, aren't they? And the best you'll ever get is, oh, he's a good kid. That's, that's, that's as good as you're ever going to get. One day I'm walking through the airport and this guy has a daughter and she's got this facial expression that says, I hate you. I hate you. And I said to the father, total cold call on this one. The guy's a, a stranger. And I said, your daughter's at that age, isn't she? And he looks at me with this like this zombie look and he says, she hasn't smiled in two years. <laughs> and then he turns to his daughter and I know he says, a total stranger just told me that you look mean. <laughs> they eventually grow they out do. of it though, right? Like, the time they're getting out of the house to go off to college or something, you go, they're human again. This is not fair. Right? But they, the, right. the, 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 the 12 to 18, boy, it's, it's rocky. And, and they don't always get out of it by 18 either. So. And you're never not a parent. So I have a 30-year-old and a 38-year-old. And you still ride the waves with them. You still, you know, yeah. oh, why is his wife doing that to him? You know, that sort of thing. Just, but you got to pull back on those. You know, no, this is not my life. Right? No, no, it's... Uh been uh, getting a lot of advice last couple of months and this is some of the best i'm definitely going to be opening up word docs maybe even like a physical journal and i changed the time my wife has health problems and so i basically raised the kids and i would just never give it back it would have been hard for me to find the, the ability to pull away from what i perceived to be really important issues 100 percent. but but when when your wife can't even get up because her spine's gone and shit like that then you do it yourself and then you discover that you got a great deal because you get to do it so i went to every sporting event i went to every concert and i did everything and i changed more diapers i made more meals and it's great for me because some, when some feminist or something comes at me i say "Fuck you let me explain to you what i know that you don't know so it makes me bullet to the well, to the, the feminists you think well i know uh well, I was going to say, like, I know we tried to wrap this up like five times already and I don't, I'm not trying to wrap it up now because you just put a, a thought in my head. Like it is, it is weird. Like my generation, it seems, is delaying family formation and it's almost taboo it's to taboo. be a person my age having a, a child. Delaying it is taboo or having it is taboo? Having it is, having it is having taboo. Having a kid? 
Yes, billion, I mean, um, for a lot of Four people. billion years of evolution tells you those people are stupid, right? Every single one of your ancestors had a kid. Every. Yeah, it tells you they're stupid, but then you look at, like, birth rates, right? I mean, you need a birth rate of 2.1 to... Well, who says we have to grow in the population? Or who says that's all stable? I just know that, 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 that there, there's nothing more imperative than having a kid, biologically. You're into, you're into the end of the road. If, if you don't now, I, I don't think it's horrible and I don't, I don't, I don't think you should worry about it. But, but the fact of the matter is there's, there's nothing. Here's the question I've been trying to ask is I think being gay is genetic. Um, my younger son is gay. And, and the question is if it is genetic, how the fuck does it propagate in the gene pool? Right? If every guy has right. gay gene is gay, then, then, the next generation will have no, none of that gene. I, I can't imagine a more effective gene scrubbing mechanism than that. Right. No, so the uh... answer is there's got to be an advantage. And it's got to have something to do with like population control or something, some sort of balancing act that we've evolved. It's like sickle cell anemia, right? You could have problems with sickle cell anemia, but you don't get malaria, right? So to, so to keep, the, the sort of the genetics of, of, of the balance between gay and hetero in the population somehow, if, if unless it isn't genetic, but somehow that seems like uh, that seems like there's a reason why it's lurking there without going away. I can't imagine yeah, I'm a scrubbable. Very, I'm a very yeah no I'm a very big believer in that too. It's genetic. People are. Are definitely born. Yeah, I think there's a continuum. So I think everyone has some range and there's some dotted line that maybe, you know, you ever see the guys you look and you go, oh, he's gay. And then you find out he's married and you go, okay, he's gay, gay and married, right? I, right? I think there's all sorts of ways to respond to who you are. And I think in the modern era, you're more likely to be gay and not married because being gay is not a problem now. Um, but, uh, but again, I don't know how you propagate the genetics of gay unless it's so linked to something important that it's tagging along. You know, mice, rat colonies, when they get too populated, they stop reproducing. They, they start having stillbirths. They start having uh, what we would call homosexual behaviors, stuff like that. So the mice have a shutoff mechanism for population. And you can waft air over an overpopulated mice colony and put it into a normal populated mice colony, and they start showing the traits. There's something being being put out there into the gaseous phase. These are fascinating questions. I love this shit. I mean, I, I think it's, I I'm a biologist. I always want to know what's the genetic basis of everything. When I was a kid, we were told by the left wing that we were raising daughters and sons different. Otherwise, they're the same. And I go dudes are not even the same species, right? There's, there's just nothing. We wouldn't even hang out together if there wasn't a, a, the sex drive, right? There's just nothing about men and women, right? The, the joke about turning into a six pack and your two best friends, right? I, there's nothing about men and women being the same, right? My wife, I don't know about you, I can look in the fridge and I cannot see the ketchup and she'll say, there it is. Every guy knows this drill. No, it's top shelf. She's not even in the room. She'll top shelf on the right, and you go, okay, there it is, right? We don't. You know why? This is easy. They were gatherers. We were hunters. And therefore, they're 
acutely looking at the gathering world. Shop with your wife. Tell me how much it drives you crazy. She's gathering and you're hunting. You're going, let's get the beast to get out of here. And she's looking at the labels. You don't care what's on the label, do you? No, not, not one bit. You know, it's got a, a, something that's an orange round fruit on it. It's orange juice. You grab it and you run. And then you come home, you find out it was grapefruit. That one I lived through. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, hunter-gatherer model works really well. And, and uh, men and women get along with each other different. Guys really bond. Women think they bond. They don't bond. They don't bond. And, and you can see it in so many different ways. But I think the reason is because guys, to bring down that mastodon, they had to work together, right? Women, you pick up that root and the other one says, hey, that's my root, bitch. That was mine, right? They're in direct competition. Hmm. And I, I think it's even true for, you know, genetic selection where the chicks are filtering to the guys trying to figure out who's a loser and who's even worse loser, right? We'll start with loser and go down from there. Where the guys are saying, she walks, she talks, I'll do it. <laughs> Very different. People want to deny this. Women are in charge, of, women are in charge of quality. I used to say that for years until finally I read some book where the guy said that's exactly right. Genetically, men want to reproduce with every female possible. And women have a much more profound responsibility on them to make sure that they don't screw up because it's a huge commitment for a woman. It, biologically, mm -hmm. modern society is different, but biologically, the woman's got the kid forever. The guy could be halfway down the, the, the ravine, right? He's gone. And so guys hit everything that moves and women have to say, oh, no, 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 you got to wait. I'm, I'm, I am in charge of picking the gene pool on this one. Yeah. So, it's fascinating. fascinating. Life. Fascinating stuff. This is fun. Should wrap it up finally. And we probably got... Six, well. six times a charm. Six that's times it, that's a charm. It. We'll do it again. Something comes up. Give me a call. Better than a model. Uh, right? maybe Better than a model. Yeah, maybe we could talk. Uh, maybe we could talk in a month okay. if we're not dead. That's, that's the big F. It's the big F. We'll yeah. be dividing up the, uh, the the booty, right? Maybe it'll be <laughs> a male selective virus, and you and I will have to repopulate the world with all the women. That'd be great. Your wife did not sign off on that very much. No, she definitely won't. I did not say. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, Hi, dear. <laughs> yeah. We kid. We're kidding, baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. During the Black uh, Death, they uh, some people responded by having these big orgies. I'm thinking, no, I don't think my wife would sign off on that one either. There's some, some people like, I don't know. Nah. That. I'd go for that one. But desperate women. I'd be. I, I'd be uncomfortable at an orgy. It's not my. No, it's not mine either. But, you know, if I thought I might die, you know, I could probably get over the hurdle. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. Adios. Right. We're ending it on. Yeah. Race. Peace and love. It's there every time, doesn't it? <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Bye. Oh, that was awesome.